Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates, where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process and their music. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash pabloheld. And to keep informed about the interviews, my music and everything else that I'm up to, subscribe to my newsletter at pabloheld.com. Okay, let's start investigating. I've transcribed a couple of a couple of songs uh, from, yeah. from the record. And yeah, I'm, man, I'm, that's so cool. I'm, I don't know if I'm right, but uh, it was certainly uh, um, certainly a great uh, experience to because when you transcribe and learn songs, you get so much closer. And there's so many cool and interesting things in the in the music. I don't know. I, um, maybe we can talk about May later. Um, yeah, I'd love to. How how you constructed that song, and also there's some certain harmonic choices in there, which where I feel like, where do you get it from? I mean, how did you arrive at certain harmonic concepts? And and yeah, anything you'd like to share? Yeah, maybe? yeah. You sometimes you have like snippets of a song idea, um, as you probably know, like that you'll just they'll just be sitting, you know, in a in a corner of your mind somewhere and and um and then when i start working on a record like it sort of activates those ideas and 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 the new ones and so sometimes like songs on the record can be built partially from things that are super old um Mm. but in the case of may later i i don't think i had been sitting on that progression for very long I think maybe the melody, like having the melody start on, on that, um, like starting on that note, it might've been built from another idea that was like 15 years old <laughs> where that, that melody had that same shape, but it was, yep. it was based on a, on a seventh, you know, like, so it's like, there's this kind of like, Oh, maybe this will, I could superimpose this, mm. this thing that I never did anything with. You know, and it's like when you remove it from from any music, that melody is is pretty generic. You know, it's like mm. if you don't know, you know what it's what it's weaving around. It's it's actually a pretty familiar kind of American sounding. Mm. You know, you, you could you could probably write a pretty convincing blues rock song with a with right, a melody yeah. like that. Um, and that the as far as the music at least like the, for the verse changes, I think what was leading me through that was probably the, the top voice of, of those changes and the kind of yeah. ascending chromaticism of it. And, mm. and maybe then building down from that, knowing, you know, where, where that melody is heading, trying to let the, the notes beneath it unfold in a way, not wanting to give, what's expected but to still be generous and still give something that like you know maybe is even um more enjoyable because it it, it's unexpected Mm. um not rely on on like a randomness but just to have something that's like yes what if it's this but it also Mm. has this and you know something like that so i think i was searching for searching for ways to to um have the, the the chords follow that chromatic motion but um 
but just continue to unfold and like like Russian doll style. Like you mm. just you have one chord that resolves the last one, but poses another question and poses another question. Yeah, totally. I mean, you started out with the augmented thing, which is already like um, ambiguous, ambiguous and and uh, mis mysterious. But you know, at first I listened to it, it was like, okay, augmented. I know, I know that, and then uh, you. I think it's F and A flat, and then you have the A flat and resolve it then to to G flat, mm -hmm. which are, already took me out of you know A flat. I thought okay, we're going to D flat or something, and then it goes to G flat, and then the next chord is exactly how you just said it poses the next question, but it all makes sense within this grandest scheme of G flat major or, or I don't know where no we resolve in in D in flat at the end D flat yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you know, when you know, like, that you're starting on, uh, you're starting on some version of the one, but because of the augmented, because of the augmented nature of the chord, it also gives you this feeling that you're starting in the middle of the story. Right. You know, like, it's a different, it, it, it's, it references another kind of ascending chromatic, familiar ascending chromatic thing, which is like, um, you know, having having an augmented fifth motion start to travel up until you get to a, a dominant seventh chord, you know, like a Roy Orbison yeah. kind of, you know, motion. So if you start uh, at, uh, at uh, first base, you know, on that run, uh, you're still following the same motion, but it's just like, like a different, it's just a different pattern, different game, you know, and it feels yeah. a little like, I remember reading this thing somewhere i don't know in some in some kind of rudimentary theory um theory book about how like if a song if the melody of a song begins um you know with a quarter note uh pickup you know like uh um that the song naturally you know must end uh on beat three you know, so as to kind of like complete the, the, the puzzle. Oh, I see. You, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, and which, you know, just hearing myself say it, it's like immediately I want to find the exception to that rule. Right, but, totally. But I, <laughs> yeah. I'm also kind of curious, like, okay, well, if that's well established, what are all the examples of it? So you start yeah. to kind of go through, you know, nursery rhymes and things. And and it's true, there is, a, there is kind of a... Um, a balance that occurs when you know no matter where you choose to begin if you if you um acknowledge it with where you you choose to arrive um you can create something that that does feel quite satisfying still even if mm. it begin begins as, as, as something unfamiliar how is your relationship to to written music um, it's very foreign to me. I, uh, it's one of the things that um, I've constantly hoped that like at some point later in life, I'll like, you know, sit down and, and, and put in the time. I, I can talk about theory in, um, in relative terms and I can follow a conversation about theory um, through most places, but when it gets into the written aspect of, 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 um, 
like just notation, it really does become like a different language to mm. me that I, it's, I'm very but, slow. But I mean, in the, in the booklet of this album, I see the guys looking at sheet music. I, I think I even saw you holding sheet music. So I was wondering, like, yeah, it looks well, computer are... written. Uh, what is it? And, and how do you write down your songs or do you write them down? Even? Well, there, somebody... there, when communicating something with, with musicians, you know, in a session, um, sometimes it's helpful to have a, a, just a lead sheet, a chord chart. Um, in most cases, it's just blocked out with the chords and it's kind of a, it's kind of a, mm -hmm. a diagram outlining time mm. more than, more than anything. That was my hang up when I was in um, jazz band in school. And like, you know, that was the perfect time to be practicing or developing my, my, my reading abilities. Mm. For the most part, it was lead sheets. It was chords and stuff. But when there was a, a, a song where like the teacher put down in front of, of me, a, something with staff on it i would be staring at it and like you know like as if it were like a word search and then i'd finally like be like <laughs> okay I, i think i see what it's saying but but then once i had it in my head i was never actively reading it again mm. and so i was just thinking like you know i what do i what am i supposed to be doing with this mm. here and um but we weren't working on anything that would have required me to have a better capability, you know, reading, yeah. sight reading capability. I had one, one like experience. So a, a childhood friend of mine, um, I think was family friends with uh, Stanley Clark. Well, and, uh, okay. and, and so like one through, through like, you know, probably years would be like my friend Kai, and you got to meet my friend Blake and my friend Blake. Stanley finally being like, okay, I'll entertain it, you know. And I went up to his house, and and uh, it was like an audition for something he was doing, maybe putting a band together, or I was going to do a record. And, and um, I was really unfamiliar with that being in an audition yeah. for something. You know, that's yeah. not it's not typical for for the type of um, music that I have been involved with for most of my life. So I, I, uh, I'm in this like home studio in Topanga Canyon with Stanley Clark without a real like sense of, of who he is and his music and, yeah. and what he's done. And so, um, but with maybe a, a, a bit of like, ah, whatever, you know, it's whatever it's going to be, I could figure it out. You know, I'll, I'll find, I'll find kind of like the, the harmony in it. Hmm. And I think he put down like a, a either he put down a, a sheet of music in front of me and I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, I don't do that. And he was like, okay. And then he ex explained to me, you know, it's basically, you know, it's, it's baseline. It's in seven. You know, there's no drums. It's just bass and guitar. So it's like, this is baseline it's in seven and it goes here. And then at, at like bar three, it goes. So I was really Ooh. out of, yeah. out of my depths and, yeah. and, uh, It felt so bad. And within like five minutes, he was like, okay, good. Like, you know, thank this you. Isn't... Yeah, exactly. We'll, exactly. we'll call you. Let's, let's go into the house and, you know, we'll have we'll yeah. put, put on some tea. Um, <laughs> and uh, and he, was, he was really sweet about it. But it did, it like did make me realize there are conversations going on, musical conversations going on um, 
in in this this language this vernacular that uh that is just so above my my grasp mm. and um and some of that music I really like and some of it I really don't and I, I mm. think you know do you have any experience with this like I'm sure you do because it's so prevalent um and it's something I find really interesting and, and that this like accepted kind of teenage um idea that like you can either you can either be really well trained and really knowledgeable in music theory, or you can be a creative um, artist. But like, you can you you know your brain only has room for so much of one without sacrificing some of the other. Like, you're going to go to school and you're going to learn theory and you're going to study music at the expense of your own innate artistry you know the, mm -hmm. that was the that was like a real uh, like a, a thing that I had heard or had had um, surmised as a as a teenager and made me think well I definitely don't want to go to music school if that's you know yeah I god forbid I grew up to be a session musician you know I wanted mm -hmm. to be in a band yeah um, and uh, and as I got older I just feel like it's just such bullshit um mm you know, and, and uh, the music that I, that I am gravitating towards more and more, you know, at, at, at my age is, is really informed by the study of music and like transcribing, you're talking about transcribing other people's music. Like I, I, I'm so envious of that discipline, you know, and, and that relationship with, with writing anything down. Um, mm because I, I do think it's valuable it is valuable but it's also just another way into the just to, another way to look at it because i'm sure you you learn a lot of songs by other people or learn the music of other people or take the aspects that interest you and try to look at them closely which is the same thing i'm just writing it down but you know it it i think it's cool to write it down but then again i was looking at how you how rhythmically nuanced you sing the melodies i was like there's no way it's going to be written down uh how i write it down now so i can maybe play it with the band once or something you know mm. uh, because you sing it every, with every verse or with every you know every another chorus you sing it different you sing mm -hmm. it differently it's so interesting and oh i want to write this down now i want to write this down but it becomes like Who's going to read this? You know, uh, I found it, it interesting to to get as close to how you sang it. You know, but yeah, it was a moment where it's like, I don't know if he writes it down like this. You know, hmm. Well, that's also an interesting, like the fact that there is room for so much interpretation in in notation. You know, <laughs> that it's yeah. like it's taking this thing that's kind of um that appears to be so academic or like so um so sort of uh clinical you know mm. the, the, like like to transcribe something it feels like it could be taken as like writing a police report about you know something <laughs> where you're like it, it does this yeah. then it does this then it does this but the the fact um the fact that it can be open to such it, that it's a translation you know that it is like reading a um 
a translated poem or something from another language yeah. is is so cool. Um, I, I think the the phrasing of uh, the phrasing of how people sing things is something. Um, I, I, right now, I'm in the middle of working on a television music for a television show. Um, that's sort of a it's not the score of the show, but um, it's a the story. Uh, is about a band, a fictional band in the seventies. And so I'm writing all this music. Yeah. This is the project that I, uh, that I reached out to Chris Wiseman um, um, about. And um, I talked to him about it a little together. bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, so it's like the part of the process with the, this show has been um, taking things that uh, I've written and I've sung demos of, uh, and starting to have other singers perform this music. And when you find singers who, um, who you know, hear a melody or read a lyric and interpret it and, and, and have, have such, um, they're incredible singers, but they, they each have their own, um, their own sort of like personal way of hearing something. And so when they go to try to sing it, you, I can hear how it's, how it's, you know, just slightly different, you know, and it's like, sure, okay, well, yeah. this, this one word, there's actually like this little dip in this thing. Yeah. And you start to, you start to realize details um, in something that you didn't put in there knowing they were, they were details. You just notice them when they're, when they don't happen, you know, when they're gone or when somebody else yeah. is performing it without those details. And, and, uh, I think there's a lesson probably to be learned in there with regard to like having that knee jerk reaction to like, Oh, it's different, you know? And yeah. like, and, and, and I'm um, trying to like in that moment actively move past it and, and just hear it and, and, and be able to um, be able to like live with it, you know, and, and accept it for, for, for being something unique to somebody else, you know? Right. It comes back to expectations also, you know, because if you're yeah. listening an ex expectational, I don't know if that's a word, but in, in a, you know, manner, uh, immediately that's, there's the, the, the um, possibility of connecting it to the judging mode, you know, because like, mm -hmm. ah, it's not like I would have thought it's, you know, it's going to be or how it should be. That can be connotated in a negative way easily, I think. Yeah. But when when you just take it in how it is, there's the possibility of going, oh, that's the way to do it. Or uh, you know, and didn't think of that, you know. Yeah, it's a really it's it's um it's a it's a really like oh, what's a what's a good word? It's a noble thing to aspire to, to be a, a listener that's that open, you know, or just mm. a, a to to kind of quell the critic. You know, I, I, I'm a really judgmental listener and, um, you know, I have, why do you I have really think strong opinions. Why do you think that is? I think part of it is I'm, I'm like, I'm scrutinizing. I'm scrutinizing something either for intent or for, um, for for trying to get to kind of like a, a 
the crux of what's interesting about, you know, um, if I'm like, it depends on, I guess, the process of listening. Like sometimes, sometimes it's like, okay, you, people are like, oh, have you heard the, this record or whatever? And for whatever yeah. reason, when music arrives like that, the like the little <laughs> devil on my shoulder is just like, no, I haven't heard it. I'm probably not going to like it. You know, yeah. like it, there's this, <laughs> like there is this like kind of asshole-ish and, and part of it's that like that protection thing, you know, like wanting yeah. to protect what's coming in and like protect what has even a, 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 an opportunity to influence you. But, but another part of it is like, there's a side of me that's a listener and, a, and like an enjoyer of music and, and in art. And there's another side of me that's a maker. And like, if, if, and I know how easy it is for the, the side of me that's a maker to just be led by the side of me that's, that's a lover of music. And I, I don't always want that. Like I've done that, I've done that in the past mm. and, and like done it actively like knowing that that's what I was doing you know when you write songs you're like I, I kind of want this to be or I really want this to be a this kind of song you know mm. or this kind of record and and that's that's great while it's happening and it's it's in a, it'll it'll never stop happening for me I'm sure but I go back and hear that years later and I'm like Oh, that's all that was, you know, like, I wish I would have waited a year to where I was no longer so strongly influenced by that music mm. that was inspiring that and, um, and could have digested a little bit more and, and turned it into something else. I, I think also all we want is, is listen to good music as musicians, you know, yeah. uh, I think that's also part of why we do it because we got addicted to a certain sound or a certain feeling that certain sounds made us feel. And like, I want to do that too, but it sounds like shit when I do it, I, I need to get better, <laughs> you know, and I, I want yeah. to get closer to, you know, it's yeah, either it's like listening to the music in on, on a record or just trying to do it yourself, you know? Yeah. There's a certain feeling of, um, of wearing a costume for a little while, while you're, mm. you know, when you're in love with something new and, uh, and and trying to work out what it is that's so special about it you know and mm. um and uh it's it's definitely i remember larry telling me one time that paul blay came to see him did he tell you this story in the interview i think so yeah, yeah. and he's like he's like he said something along the lines of like it was really good you know you just need to throw out all your records Yeah, right. Yeah. They yeah, told you me know, the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, oh, what a, what a thrilling, what a thrilling um, uh, dig on somebody, you know, right. like, yeah, it, it's this thing where you're like, in one hand, it's sort of like, well, fuck you. But in the other hand, it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, I, I wonder what will happen if I do that. You know, like what? Mm -hmm what um what what i would come up with if you know if i didn't have any devices of other other people's like influences yeah, but, or but I, was, i also felt like this criticism 
it was full of love also because yeah. there's somebody who knows a lot of music and he can appreciate that somebody else loves a lot of music, right? And, and yeah. therefore he connects with him by saying, throw away all your records. I, I heard that you know all this stuff. This is great. But, I, you know, that's also engaging. I, I want to hear you. You know, I want to hear more you. Yeah. That's, yeah. It was a, it was a scary. very, it was a very poetic way of, of basically saying like um, all the things you love of other people's, I can hear evidently in your, in your playings of like, mm. take the things you love and, and, and turn them, you know, shake them up a bit and turn them upside down and do things to them, you know, mm. so that you're, you're, um, furthering the, the conversation you know and rather than re retelling something yeah uh yeah it's i mean it's something i think about a, a lot you know and and uh and maybe maybe part of why I, I it takes so long between records to like um to think of a reason to make it you know like what the what the 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 purpose of another record would be you know um, it used to just be like, because I'm a slow writer, but now, now that I'm, you know, I've got all these wonderful people that I could collaborate with. Like it, I, I could make records sooner. I could do them, you know, more quickly, but uh, it would feel um, unfamiliar to me to like begin before having a sense of like, well, this is the type of record I would like to hear you know, right now as a listener. So that's what I'll set out to make. That's a harder thing to, uh, harder thing to, to come by, I think. Yeah. Than songs How do you now. relate this to, to Chris Wiseman and his work ethic and work flow? Oh man. I mean, he, he's such a mystery to me. He's so prolific. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, in the way that like, uh, the only way I can understand, a person's ability to sit down and and just have the, the kind of faucet like and songs come out of the faucet words yeah. and, and things like it's like that i know i can sit down with a with an instrument or the guitar and like play something new you know not know where that's not not have a sense of like where it's coming from just like mm. go from from one note to the next and you know like just follow it but to be able to do that with words is like it, it's like watching somebody able to breathe underwater i i i yeah you know never never understood how how writers can do that um so he's he's got a a really special set of skills but also like tastes you know like what types of words he gravitates towards and what types of harmony and mm. choices, you know, and, and like kind of, um, um, it's almost like there's a philosophy there, mm. you know, um, where, where he presents bitterness and, 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 and things that are a little sour, you know, harmonically and dissonant, uh, And how he does it in such a way to where it still feels really elegant to people, whether mm. they, they, they realize what's 
going on, you know, like whether they're, they're, they're hip to the theory of it or, or totally not, you know, just to, just yeah. as a listener hearing it and going like, I like that. That's interesting. That's unique. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, it's a real, no, nobody is, nobody that I know personally um, is doing quite what he yeah. does. Totally. He told me that um, he, you asked him to, to come up with some songs also for this imaginary uh, band in the 70s. And he said, like, yeah, I sent him like 30 songs already, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and then he says, um, yeah, then you do your spin on them. And that was, that's the moment where I was like, okay, I want to know more, but I couldn't ask him more because it's like, I think that's your story to tell. So uh, <laughs> if you want to share some of that process, but how do you approach taking somebody else's music and then doing, yeah, whatever with it? Because I haven't heard it yet. So, well, it's, it's definitely, it's something unique to this, this project. I've never done anything like that before. I mean, I've collaborated on songs with people, but um in the case of this show, what happened was it's, it's all based on a book, Daisy Jones and the six. And in the book, there's references to songs and lyrics and, and stuff like that. But in the TV show, we're, we're not really beholden to all of those, those lyrics, you know, we're, we're, I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to make it really feel like an album that existed or could have existed or a band that could have existed and not quite as referential to other bands that did exist in real life as, as maybe certain characters in the book are, you know, like it's pretty, I think the, the most common connection people would draw from the story is, is Fleetwood Mac. But in, in a lot of ways, it's, the the situation is a little more like Nico joining the Velvet Underground because it's it's this bit, this like kind of blues based kind of like a Peter Green at least how I how I envision it like a Peter Green era Fleetwood Mac um a blues rock band and then the introduction of this other artist this this other voice um literally and, and figuratively uh, the, the, the female comes in and it kind of turns the band into something totally new. Um, that's Daisy. That's Daisy. Yeah. So, so I was talking to Chris about this project and, and basically said, you know, it's entering into a world of um, film trying to depict music and the world of music, which historically has never ended well you know <laughs> like yeah. you know there's a there's a good chance it's going to be what it's going to be you know this was like a mm. year and a half ago you know not not really you know before anything had really started and, and I said but um but I have a lot of control over the the music I think and so um I'm going to really try to make it as good as 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 I can on that front and so Chris like that the the weekend after our initial conversation i think he like got the book and read it you know which when i found out i was sort of i was sort of like oh no like i wonder if he because he sent lyrics based or sent songs based off of those original 
lyric ideas in the book. Like he would take mm. certain song titles and, and I was thinking like, oh no, I didn't, maybe I didn't tell him that like, we don't, the songs don't have to be literal. So I, he sent stuff over and like, it was beautiful. You know, like some of these lyrics that um, I, from the from the book, I was thinking like, well, I don't know how to turn that into a good song. Um, you mm. know, he 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 really got inside of and and made them um, made them special. And some of the stuff he sent harmonically was probably too advanced or or even too exploratory for the nature of the the band uh, in in mm. the story in this book. But what he what he was doing was he was sending me each idea in three separate emails. He would send his recording of the idea, his demo. And then he would send the lyrics and then he would send the, um, like he would notate the song in some way, whether it would be just a chord chart or um, he has this really beautiful way um, of, of, writing down his ideas of like transcribing his his own music mm. it's somewhere between like what a really good guitar teacher would give you when you're like a beginner and yeah. the the and then the but and the, the 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 graphics on the voyager gold disc you know where it's like this is a universally legible document yeah you know that if, if aliens happened upon it they would be able to go yeah. oh i see what you're yeah. saying here yeah yeah, um, yeah really beautiful and so uh, sometimes i would get the idea late at night and i'd just be in bed and you know kind of like ping 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 and i would open up the lyrics before hearing the music and kind of like look and see what he had done with those and uh and then like check out the music and be like oh man this is this is way out there, but these lyrics are really cool. So I would need to go in the next day and, and just try to write something um, with the, with the lyrics. And that mm -hmm. was, that was, I think what I was most excited to send to him um, and nervous because I, in some ways felt like I was dismantling this thing that was really beautiful, you know, that he yep. had written and he had made and, um, and was hoping that, um, that the thing that it had turned into would be something that, that he saw some, some value in. And, um, mm. and for the most part, I think, I, I think like he was able to see like why things changed in the ways it went, you know, the ways that they did. And, and um, we find, we find a lot of commonality in terms of like the, the, the music from that era that we like and, and, and uh, are trying to subvert, you know, into the, yeah. This, this TV show and, and stuff. So like where they're, where they're, uh, their, their set of references might have ended at like Fleetwood Mac and Springsteen or something. We're, we're thinking like, okay, we can also maybe get some like Todd Rundgren in there and, and maybe mm. a, a little, a little like um, Terry Reed or like free or something, you know, some of these like more mm -hmm. athletic singers and things like that. So it's, it's cool. been, it's been a really cool way to enter into that, that relationship, but that's also like a great excuse to just meet the guy and, and befriend him and be able to work on, on music outside of that project as well. Where there's, mm. there, there are less, less like ground rules and, you know, yeah. fewer limitations. When I listened to the new one, uh, um, uh, I, uh, I felt like, 
I don't know if I'm, you know, stepping on your toes with this, but I felt like you couldn't have done the, the latest one, mutable set, without having done look. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, yeah. so it's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely things that, like, um, there's definitely things that occur in the context of making a, a, a soundscape record that, um, that are that are like uh that you allow allow yourself to do that mm. then maybe once you've allowed yourself to do them there you're like well you know i mean what's the big deal mm. you know it doesn't feel like anything on mutable set is like that daring because it's like it's not it's not like those those decisions aren't represent like it's not like anything that hasn't been been done before um you know, like, like long songs or things that kind of like, um, have unexpected chords or, or whatever. Like it doesn't feel, it's not, it's not like protest music where like I'm putting my, my neck out on the line. Somebody might come knock on the door and be like, mm. there were a lot of augmented chords on that record, young man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like, let's show your license. Yeah, like what's gonna happen? You know, nobody's gonna take my like the, some sort of like success of being a solo artist away from from me. Mm. I don't have it, so it's it's mm. it's wonderful to exist in this kind of world of 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 um of not having the pressures of of uh, expectation of how something's gonna perform or supposed to perform. You know? Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about. I really feel like your guitar playing is has has a very deep uh, orchestral quality in terms of all the different parameters of the music, but also the different, you know, the bass, the tenor, the, the soprano, whatever, alto. Oh, cool. Like, uh, it's so layered and so nuanced and, and has so many dynamics. I mean, how you play with dynamics I've, sometimes when I listen to you play, I feel like you don't need anybody around you. You're doing it all on your own, you know. Of course, it's great to play with your band, with the band, and you sound great with the people you surround yourself with. But still, there's moments where I feel like everything is there. I mean, you're playing bass for yourself. You're playing drums for yourself. I mean, May later, those chords, how you strum them, I mean, that's drums. It's also how you re record them, but that's the drum part of it you know or how you play uh if i'm unworthy i mean the, the bass the bass motion of that that's when i saw you play it first i was like oh that's all him you know on the record it sounds like like it might might be somebody else there too but i'm wondering how you arrived at that sense of orchestral approach to to an instrument like that and finding so many different colors in it i think one of the It's one of the few wonderful things about guitar, um, you know, like that you have, <laughs> you do have an access to, like you can span a certain um, um, at, at length of intervals, you know, with like with one hand, like there, there, sometimes it's kind of like, it, it gets depressing, you know, like to, to hear the same um, 
set of boxes. And I bet everybody hears this on, on their, their own like respective instrument, but like with guitar, it's, it's so often approached in like these shapes, you know, by like the, the pentatonic boxes or scales and, and, mm. and um, chord voicings and stuff. But because of that, because there's that homogeneity when, when there, there are players like Michael Hedges um, or uh, Charlie Hunter, um, lots of uh, Jim Hall. Like there, there are people who, who unlock a certain register uh, or a certain way of using the instrument to that multi-purpose effect of like having drums and 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 uh, counterpoint and things going on at the same time. That's such. It's such a a, a magic trick. It's such like a. It's yeah. such a mysterious thing. Like, how are they doing that? You know, and and uh, that was something I gravitated towards when I was after the initial lure of like playing fast and loud. Um, kind of like wore off. It was like, oh, okay, how 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 are these guys doing that? You know, mm. well, and also like being able to satisfy. Like if you're if you're listening to a record and you're you're like you're you're falling in love with like how how rhythm section is playing, you know, with each other. Like if you if you're focusing on like Fly in the Family Stone or something like that. If you if you just play the guitar part, you're not mm. really getting to you're not getting the fix of what's happening mm. with that music, you know. So so in order to um, understand sometimes what's taking place in an arrangement, um, I've, I've, I've just naturally tried to figure out a way of, of, of hearing, you know, those things happen at the same time, you know, the mm. bass movement or something like that. Uh, it's, it, and then tunings, like you, you can like, Imagine if you had a piano that you could just reach over and like, you know, change the tuning of it'd be, um, I think there's a lot of, of, of like exploration that can happen on the guitar as soon as you start to get bored with it by just coming up with the tuning, um, yeah. you know, or putting it in a different register and the fact that baritone Baritone guitar, you can play some chords on that you probably wouldn't want to hear on bass, you know, but that uh, that you can never get the same kind of power from on a guitar in standard tuning, you know, like it's just there's mm. there's ways of there's ways of taking a and the way guitar is laid out and the fact that that's familiar to me, being able to move that into a different register as easily as just having a guitar and that's tuned in that it's like being mm. able to play a different instrument all of a sudden you know like horn players yeah. have to put in so much time to access a different register you know mm. and it's I'm, I'm lucky in that in that way that guitar mm. makes it so easy I wonder how many how long does a does a record like mutable set take for you to do I mean the writing process is one thing but I, I suppose, I mean, a song like uh, a window facing a window, 
seems like um, uh, you just played it together. It seems very, you know, organic, seems very mm -hmm. uh, acoustic, you know, uh, not a lot of work done in, in afterwards or something. Mm -hmm. But other songs with so many layers on them and, and you know, I'm wondering how long the, the process for some of the songs, maybe you com can compare a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, each one was was pretty unique. It, it's it's not the kind of record where we we moved through, um, you know, we just kind of like tracked uh, tracked a song and then moved on to the next song kind of thing. It, it was more, it was built more from there'd be like a, a performance, either just a solo performance um, from me that that had the the vocal and 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 some accompaniment whether it was mm. uh, most 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 of the maybe half and half actually like i played piano on this record because i did a lot of the writing on piano and um mm. and i'm i'm not like i'm not a very um consistent piano player reliable piano player but uh but some of the songs like it took longer you know to try to get the performance playing piano and singing and then other ones you know it was just guitar and vocal and then i and then i would uh I, the songs that are layered it would be built on on that you know the ones that mm. um the ones that were performed live um some of those were like i had tracked them i had tracked them earlier in the process of making the record and then as the record went on kind of listening to those and being like yeah this doesn't feel quite like uh quite right you know mm. and and then and towards the end of the process of the kind of layering songs i had i'd found this groove with um sam gundell and aaron Embry, who had come in to to participate during in the layering process like yeah. you know piano and and and, uh, and sax and i was thinking like what if we just tried to um what if we just try to do these songs as a trio track them live as a trio and uh, how, how would we do that if, if this was the band you know because i just those both those guys are so sympathetic um mm. to a song uh and 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 getting inside of a song and contributing to it from that standpoint um so money is the one true god um yeah. uh never forever um uh window window facing a window uh maybe one or two others like we we did in like two days three days we were just like that was the most sort of like live yeah part of the record um not the only live part but in terms of what what is on the record what what ended up on the record and then um other stuff is is definitely more more constructed a window facing a window uh that's it's such an incredible song man i i always hear um i love your singing on it but i also felt oh, like thank you billy billy holiday could have sang, sung this song it you has a standard I mean? it definitely has like a standard um a standards vibe the 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 main theme of that song 
was something that came from when I was in jazz band in high school. Um, I don't know if you know this. I've, 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 I've told this story before, but like I've had a, I had this like memory of a song we played in jazz band that was uh, um, really hard to figure out like what the, I didn't remember the name of the song. I just knew that I had learned it as, as, a, as a, a, a teenager. And I was playing the song from memory for all, all my friends who are like jazz guys. Going, what song is this? What is it? Nobody could, could remember what it was. And I was just like, it's not, is it possible that I wrote this and like just had some weird dream of, you know, like where it came from? And there's no way. And I finally, I finally, I, I, I reconnected with um, this incredible musician who was the drummer in jazz band that I went to high school with. His name's Lewis Cole. And, yeah. um, and I, I reached out and, and Lewis's father was like the band leader. This was actually an extracurricular jazz band. Um, and uh, I was like, what is this tune? You know, we played this, you know, it, it, with your dad. What was this tune? He's like, oh, yeah, that, that's uh, El Ciego. You know, we, it's on a um, Charlie Hayden record. So finally mm -hmm. I went and listened to it. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is, the, oh, this is where cool. this came from. But it's a cover. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like um, it was a standard in the 60s. It was written in the 60s. Um, it's like a, a, a Spanish language, it's like a Mexican uh, ballad, yeah. pop song, and so uh, so it's a it's it's a total co-write. But I had I had written the lyrics for the song for "Window Facing Window" to this melody, you know, and then and I I didn't remember the B section from the mm. jazz band or whatever. So I was just like, okay, well, if I were writing this song, it would go here, you know. Go, Ah, but okay. all, based, all based on like if I were further continuing this idea you know the melody and the the, the, the vibe of it you know the standards vibe of it uh, so it was, I've, I've never had a, an experience like that you know like mm. it's like adding on to a building you know 100 year old building yeah. or something or yeah 60 year old building that's cool that's cool um yesterday I, I transcribed far sickness and i think it says that you wrote it together with gabriel kahane yeah is that correct um i was wondering what your process is uh or was with this song uh writing together with somebody like that and yeah. and yeah how you guys constructed it the the sort of um the the first verse and maybe the last verse I think most closely resemble harmonically what I had written and the progression of the song that I was writing and it was it was definitely it was a piano it was a piano song and it was beyond my reach to play like what I was when I was writing it all the when I was writing all the piano stuff on that record um, it, it was really slow because I would like accidentally hit a certain chord and be like, oh, that's, you know, yeah. that's cool. But then yeah. I'd like, like, I couldn't move my hands. I was like, okay, if I move, if I pick up my hand <laughs> to grab a pencil, I'm not going to be able to remember what this is. Yeah. So, uh, 
so there were a lot of chords in far sickness that even how I had written it, I, I couldn't quite navigate and couldn't play in time. So I knew I, I, I wanted to, uh, to have like somebody like Gabe um, around for the recording of it. And, and I sent him, I sent him like a, an outline of it and, uh, and just said, you know, if, if you hear anything, by all means. And, uh, and so he, he did all these great reharmonizations around the melody and um, mm. which allowed the song to just feel more like a, more like a journey, you know, or like a train of thought, which is, which is what it is, you know, from, yeah. from a, from a lyric standpoint, you know, he really underscored that part of it, that kind of like um, contemplative part of it. Nice. really adds on on top of each other i mean as, as you said it's a journey some things are repeated but it never feels like a repetition i could mm -hmm. have never put a repeating sign somewhere you know that's my yeah. transcription uh, yeah. thought because uh you know no it's different i have to write it down it it, it is different it's, it's meant like that even in the end where it goes like the uh And then my favorite, mm -hmm. my favorite. Is yeah, yeah. What is that? I mean, that that's that's Gabe. That those are his. That's his voice leading, you know, and and really thinking about, uh, really thinking about where each internal melody is is heading, rather than yeah. The way that I approach piano, especially in a, in a piano player pointed, my, my piano tuner pointed this out to me, like a guitar player sits down at the piano and plays chords, you know, and, yeah. and, and I, I do, you know, and I, that is exactly, that's the reality. And then, and then when, when real players like Gabe and, and yourself, when, when you're playing, you actually do hear distinct voices that are just mm. occurring at the same time. And so uh, he really flushed out what the stuff that he contributed to that song. He, he really flushed out a, a, a style of piano playing that's unique to the, to, mm. to the record. You know, it doesn't, there's, there's a lot of piano on the record, but, but not like that. It's, it's never used, utilized like that anywhere else in the record. That's yeah. Him. How about summer? I mean, who's playing piano on, on summer all over again? That's me. That's you. Beautiful yeah. voicings also. I mean, thank there's you. Some some great stuff in there. Whenever there there's a, the the flat five, <laughs> it's very specific. But mm -hmm. I think there's an A flat minor, and then you go for the flat five, half diminished sound. That uh -huh. always it always takes me like somewhat completely different it's like always like what, what? I, yeah, it's, I know it by heart but it's always unexpected and I, I love this quality mm. in music if if there's something that sounds like it's from you know <laughs> could have been there forever but also comes in the moment uh, I don't know how to how to put it in the into words but it's like timeless maybe is, is a good word 
and, I, and I'm always struck by it. It's like always mm. unexpected. Although I know what it is. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. You know, it's coming, but it's, it does, it does a certain thing. I think that moment, if, if I'm, if I'm, um, if I know the one you're talking about, it, it's, to me, it's like, it underscores a, a something that's not conveyed hmm. in the, in just the lyric or that chord alone. Like if, like, um, it's the, let's see. Because the only flat five I can remember is the uh, 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 that moment. That's another. That's another part. I meant. I meant. I meant something different. I. I think it's. Uh, oh yeah. You know that's the, that's what I meant. Yeah. That one? It's a different See? no. It's a different moment. It's where a different moment. I don't know where, where exactly we? we are, but I think it's like. And then it's it's something in between, you know, something in between, and that's another uh, favorite part of mine with the E E chord. The E chord. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That. that's, that's yeah. beautiful. That's beautiful too. Is that, what if I'm not even remembering the part of the song? It, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Is it nope. the E flat? <laughs> uh, there's nothing, there's nothing much moment. in the song. I don't even, maybe it's, it's, it's just, uh, the thing is, there. it's just a passing note. It's, it's a yeah. passing note. Yeah. It's a passing note. And huh. um, I would, I'll have to listen for it. When you hear it, <laughs> let me know what chord it is. I'll put it in there. I'll give you credit. <laughs> sure. uh, I, but there's like there's things in the in the lyric that look, there, there's well there's things that are not in the lyric that are that are supposed to be you know and um, like things that are supposed to be covered in the song. Oh, um, so that can't be covered with the lyrics. You mean that has to be yeah. with yeah sure okay yeah 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 because it's just by design like it's supposed to be it's it's supposed to kind of be like how you talk about something with a with a with a small child you know like mm. uh where you you want to you want to cover a topic that that can be like you know pretty terrifying in a way that's like approachable mm. um and uh, and there's some stuff that's not said explicitly in that like the 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 the, the game is to try to like um, suggest it you know musically. Mm. That's great. I'm, I'm maybe you can tell me a little bit about your uh, experience of working with Jim Keltner and what you've learned from him, what your relationship is, and how you think he's approaching maybe uh, mm -hmm. musical settings or recording settings i'm curious i think um i mean like his his reputation precedes him um in terms of like he's he's universally respected and and loved and um 
and like one of the most well-documented <laughs> musicians, you know, like one of the most prolific, um, well-recorded people I, I know. And, and so I think there's probably maybe a bit of a hang up, you know, with, with somebody who's played on, who's played so marvelous, marvelously on so many recordings, there is, it's impossible to, to enter into a situation without an expectation of, of what you're going to do. Um, and like hope, you know, there's like people, pe there's probably like a lot of well-meaning hope, like what you're going to get from Jim on a session, mm. you know? And, um, and uh, it's so beautiful to have, again, those expectations challenged and um, to sort of like see that he, he still has a way of um, just responding to the moment, you know, rather than the, the uh, like refusing to, to just try to figure out what the person is expecting him to play. Like there's almost, there was almost when we, before our first session together, there was almost like, certain like warnings like people were like now here's the thing you know you're not gonna you're not gonna <laughs> get like you're not gonna get like the same um thing from him twice or whatever like you know and also like you know you, as soon as you tell him what to play it's you know like all bets are off or, and like just this uh, like it's okay. uh, unwarranted advice that was like almost scary and then we get together and i was like what, did, what are you talking about like we can we were like sitting down, like talking about like that picture you were referencing or whatever, where like I've got a, mm. like a lead sheet or something and we're looking yeah. at it and stuff. It was like, that was like a big no-no, you know, to like, oh, okay. according to, to like the, the, the sort of like the, the stories of like working with him where he does this thing and, you know, and then you're like, that's great, you know, do that again. And, like I get it, but every musician is like that. You know, everybody that mm. I've that I know is is the same way. And and then um, he the the reality is like you the, you want him to do you want him to do the thing that nobody would ever think to say they they want from drums on the song. You know, we did mm. this one we did this one pop up show one time. Um, a night and the band was uh it was doing these nights with 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 pino paladino and larry and we'd have a different drummer um mm. and they were like weekly gigs we did one month it was residency at a friend of mine's venue and did you so um yeah they were recorded in fact i the 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 my friend just dropped the hard drive off of of the recordings um oh yesterday and uh mm -hmm. One night we did a sleepwalk and Jim was playing the song like totally upside down. Mm. Like he was hearing, like he, I don't know what he heard. Maybe the count, maybe there was a count, maybe there wasn't. And like, maybe he just got started upside down, but continued. And we were like, it was like a psychedelic experience. I think he was wow. playing it in like four and it was in, and it like that song's in six 
and he's playing it in like four, but like the snare on the one. And we were just like all looking around. And Jim was just in it, in his world, like <laughs> hearing it, you know? Uh, and that's the kind of like, that's the kind of thing where if you're, if you have an expectation to, you know, like it, or I guess they'd say like, if you can't roll with like having your expectation mm-hmm. immediately like challenged and like demolished, um, it could be really <laughs> scary. It could be really frightening, yeah. but like, what a, what a thrilling, what a moment. I, I can't even remember how that song, the, uh, how it lived, <laughs> like how it, mm. how it survived to the end, mm. how, we, how we made it through. But, um, He's, he's, I've heard it said, um, uh, I think maybe Fiona Apple said like, he's the life giver. Like he'll come in, you have this song. It doesn't, it exists, but it doesn't live yet. Like it doesn't have, it hasn't been born. And yeah. so uh, he, he has like a way of, of turning it into a living thing um that uh that's so exciting it's so thrilling mm. yeah. beautiful but, uh, i i hope uh i hope that like that offers something that like you know hasn't been talked about like you know <laughs> to to like great ends already about jim i mean he's like everybody who knows and loves him and has played with him loves him and he has such a um such a unique voice on on the instrument mm. um and i've also noticed that he he the way he hits the way he like strikes the drum it's it's not like you don't i don't associate his playing with like a stick going towards the drum so much as like the recoil coming mm. coming back and it's right. sort of like he's pulling a sound from the head of the drum when mm. he hits and uh, and I wonder, like, I wonder how much of that come. It has to do with the like when he was making the doing the um, the sticks with shakers on them and stuff, you know, to where yeah. that that recoil has to be. Um, uh, it's part of the sound. Part of the part of the in time, you know, like that the timing mm. of that right. is 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 so intentional. Um, mm. If that just became part of the technique. You know, even when he's mm. not playing with shakers, um, to where, to where, like he just his his, um, it's like it's like embouchure for a drummer. You know, like the sound is yeah. is is so. There's nobody nobody that that can make a drum, make a room resonate like that. Like I've seen, I've sat down at his drums and like you know, and like oh yeah, what the fuck. What the fuck? Like it doesn't sound <laughs> anything like this. Yeah. So, he, yeah, he's a real he's a real magician in that way. Did he give you any kind of advice or or um, uh, any notes that you, that are still useful for you, or is he not? Um, is he not? The fact yeah, giving out stuff he, like that. The fact that he. The fact that he is involved in the music that we've been involved in the music together that we have been like the fact that he's, he's played on 
on some of of my music the fact like just being um it's so motivational it's a, it's such a reassuring like it's such a um a heavy compliment you know right to just to just have done that like and 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 had him um involved in 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 that stuff was sort of like in a way it kind of felt it felt like advice you know or just yeah. encouragement you know and i one of the the most valuable experiences about that second record for for me was um was was just like realizing that you can make an album and have certain people that you're you're really focused on um uh satisfying like you can have like four or five people in mind who are like i'm making this record for them and mm-hmm. uh and then at the end of it if those if like you can share it with those people and and they get it that that's all then you can put it to bed like it, mm. You don't, it doesn't matter who else likes the record. It doesn't matter who doesn't like the record, you know, Mm. like you you can't, you actually like kind of can't count any of it. You can't, you can't add up the people that dig it. You can't add up the people that don't. You have Mm. to just, you have to just like kind of get up, walk away from it after. And Jim is one of those people for me, you know, on that record. um, I was really really nervous about playing with him because I'd had an experience with him years before on a session after growing up idolizing his feel and his, his playing on records I had an experience where the first time I got to play with him I felt a little like I was trying to participate in his his pocket too much and yeah. uh, and it was just fighting it was like it was like adding like salt and soy sauce to something <laughs> you're like you don't you're not supposed to do that mm. um and uh and so i had kind of i had to sort of like rethink like what i would do if i ever had the chance again you know to play with him and mm. uh and i just knew what i i knew it didn't work but i didn't know like what i could what i could offer what i could bring to the table you know to 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 hang with him and so that record was an opportunity to do that again and the first thing that we did was the was shed your head that was like day one of of hi-ho um and that that jam was just kind of the the um getting to re-meet you know and like talk it's beautiful that's another one of those uh letting go moments or those you know letting something happen uh that i really like in your music that you allow them in there and or go for them it's just a beautiful moment and also like this could take 20 minutes it could take six minutes i'm down for the ride you know just i i love that yeah not up to me (laughs) (laughs) yep hey man thank you thank thank you for doing much Uh, i hope i hope it uh i hope it's it was enjoyable and totally and, uh, totally and will be for for your listeners hey 
How you been? Uh, yeah. Where where did we where did we? End? I have no idea. It feels like it feels like uh, months ago uh-huh. that we did it was. that. It was. Was it actually okay? Then I'm not crazy. I think it was in November. Wow! Really? Yes. Wow! Crazy. That's great. So a month in Corona time is like. Yeah. Something it's like else. Seven. It's time. like seven dog years. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, thanks for sending me the, the, the music. Um, yeah, man, a pleasure. The thing was, uh, yeah, you dropped that first single and I was like, I need to talk to him again. Uh, <laughs> we need to talk this through because, um, or I need to. Uh, I felt like when we would release this interview and we wouldn't have talked about what you guys just did there, that would feel weird. Since you sent the music, it was on repeat. My family had to listen to it. My, my kids were, <laughs> were singing along already and dancing to wow. it. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Um, and it was really on, because it's also the length, like 30 minutes. I don't know about uh-huh. you, but for me, a length like that makes me want to play it again immediately after after that oh, that's cool yeah that's cool i mean i think there's probably there's probably like we were we were wondering if we needed to come up with more material just because 30 minutes for um an album is is sort of cutting it close mm-hmm. um but it felt like every time we got to the end of listening to that much you know as much music as we had on there that it felt like a a, a good amount like a complete cycle But it, I'm glad that it's a it's a cool listening experience in that way. Yeah, it is. I mean, on so many levels, and also, I have to say, with every listening, there's new, yeah, new new ways of realizing what what is the actual music, and so many layers. And I don't I don't really know where to start. What I really would like to have from you, and I don't know if you want to go into that into it that deep, but. I would like to have a, a, an order of events. You know, mm-hmm. if you feel like we could go through the record and you can take yeah. me through what happened because with so many songs, I had the feeling like, where, where is the initial idea? Where, where, where does the initial idea come from? Who had the initial idea? And how did you build on top of it? So many beautiful layers. Right. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely go through certain songs. I think the the um, the the way that a lot of the music came about on this, or, well, the the recordings came about, um, was inspired by the fact that we we didn't really have um, a timeline. It was a a, um, a labor of of love and an excuse to sort of tinker in the studio together. Um, but also everything was sort of governed by and inspired by this music that Pino had written, um, and different songs were in various states of completion or incompletion. Mm. Um, you know, so it was really case by case, but, um, there were some things on that record that had existed in some form or another for 12 years. Wow. Before, you know, we started working on them. Like what's the oldest? Um, 
I think the oldest idea on there might be Soundwalk. Mm-hmm. Soundwalk came from Soundwalk is a really interesting um, story. So if and I, you know, I'm trying to um, I'm trying to retell you know Pino's story, but it's I think it was the first D'Angelo tour. Um, and, uh, that was like early two thousands and they were snowed in, in Chicago, stuck in the hotel for a few days. And, um, uh, Pino was able to go out and get a mini disc recorder and, and, uh, was just messing around in the hotel room, um, programming drums and playing bass and guitars. And, and he, he had this, um, progression and and as he puts it like a terrible program drum beat and stuff and um he played some guitar on it uh i think maybe sent it to whoever was playing keys in the band at that time maybe it was um james i I think later on he sent the demo to the saxophone player in d'angelo's band at the time his name jacques schwartzbart and so jacques uh, took the the demo and played this incredible horn arrangement over it. So Pino for years loved what Jacques had played on this idea, but he kind of hated everything else about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and thought n- nothing of it because he only had the two track. He had lost the mini disc recorder and everything. And, and, um, and, uh, one day when we were at the studio together, um, a friend of mine, Dave Godowski, who works at Isotope, um, came by to show me this new software that they had been developing called Rebalance. Rebalance is, um, it's essentially, you can, you can load in a two track and remove the drums from it or remove the vocals from it. Mm-hmm. You know, it analyzes, the audio and tries to uh, decipher what's what and you can rebalance the the mix when he brought it by it was pretty alarming because it essentially means you can make stems sort of crudely but you can make stems from any you know anything i mean like we we loaded hey jude in and removed paul mccartney from the outro yeah i mean it was like it was like this is this is dangerous yeah territory Mm -hmm. um but Pino thought like, wait a minute, this could be really great. So we, we tried to um, see what we could do with getting the horns um, extracted, you know, just take oh, everything right. else out of this piece of music that he had, this, this mix. And, um, and we did, but we, we, the way the rebalance looks is it's like a, a series of faders, you know, with different mm-hmm. like you got vocals and drums and guitar. And if you pull them all the way down, obviously they're all the way gone. As you start to bring them back up a little bit, you just get these remnants of, um, you know, whatever the, the algorithm yeah. is. And we, we kind of found a, a, a balance where there were still some other things from his demo that creep in every so often, like a, a guitar hit or keyboard or something like that. Um, but essentially just took the horns and started over. Mm. um and uh i played percussion on it and a little guitar cool and it was just like 
you know, it's like we started from the horns of this uh, idea of his and then built around that. And mm. other songs, you know, were the opposite, which maybe is more traditional, but, um, but uh, it, it was just a, a total journey from one song to the next. Mm. That's, that's uh, now that you said it, a journey from one song to the next, that makes total sense also in terms of the, the sequence of the songs. Mm -hmm. I really love how one song goes into the other and sometimes contrasts what has come before. But with some instances, I, I think, you know, uh, the man from Molise mm -hmm. and um, off the cuff, mm -hmm. like both of them are in seven and somehow in the same pulse tempo or whatever, it feels like an afterthought of, to me, it feels like an afterthought of, of the, what came before, you know, and, also with that beautiful ballad uh, notes and attachments mm -hmm. and the song after that is Jerkle, I think. Um, I think so. I think you're right. It sounds yeah. like, and when I first listened to it, I would, I, I heard the ballad and I was like, Oh, I need to remember this. Which, which song is this, you know, next mm -hmm. time I listen to it, I wasn't sure where the other song started because it, it's so, it moves in so nicely together. So that's hmm, a that's topic great. that interests me. Like, how do you, how do you go about finding an order for a CD, and what's oh, your sequencing? Yeah, sequencing. And what's what's your goal in that? I don't know if there's a theory, um, like in in practice. There was one interesting. Somebody told me um, one time that Paul Simon had this um thing he would do where he would uh at the end of the um you know previous song in a sequence he would like at the, at the last beat of that or or as soon as the audio is is done um he would begin a sort of imaginary count count in of the te at the tempo of the next song you know mm -hmm. so like four beats or eight beats whatever was appropriate at the tempo before the first hit of that song right um as like a a guide for spacing um but i mean you've probably done this like usually when you're coming up with a sequence you you kind of throw them all into a you know itunes playlist or something and and you know, listen to um tempo and key and and mm -hmm. um you know, consider like maybe the length of the song and, you know, what, you know, how, how uh, fresh somebody's attention span might be yeah. through the course of that. But, um, but it's, it's usually pretty like self-evident. I remember when I was younger feeling a little more like, well, I mean, this is a, this is one order. And then this other one that's really different is another order. And I can't tell which one's better. And, um, But nowadays, it, it seems to sort of reveal itself, maybe just going through the process of, of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I've never, I've never been, I never listened to an album with an active awareness of like judging the sequence, but it probably does help keep me invested in, in the album longer if it's well thought out, you know, right. if it's well planned. If it's not 
that takes your attention away. And then and also sometimes it can get your attention or like, oh, that felt that felt like a bump or something or weird or right. Or why am I not paying attention anymore? Or, uh, you know, why does it feel yeah. weird? Yeah, Because, I don't even know who we made this record for, like what kind of <laughs> listener, you know, like the any of the anxiety of like, oh, there's no vocal in this and are people going to remain interested? Um, it wasn't really a part of the process of, of working on this music because it felt so generous with its, um, I don't know, it, it's its composition and like, The, the playfulness and the parts and um, melodies and sounds and stuff, it felt engaging. Mm. And like, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't mood music. It didn't just sort of like establish, a, you know, a theme and then just, you know, repeat that to sort of like, you know, like until three minutes had come and gone or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the um, cool, so it, cool compositions. You know. Yeah, I mean that's that's really their Pino's. It's Pino's compositional voice, um, harmonically, rhythmically, um, structurally. Even in in certain cases, I think like what some of the songs that are 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 more groove based may have started from a loop. Like I, I know some of the sessions were like Ecute, um, yeah. I think was just a, a loop. Um, and the way that uh, we built it into arrangement, an arrangement had a lot to do with the fact that um, uh, there was a, a session, a, a multi-track drum kit and a Pro Tools session that I could open up at my house and play with and try to create, you know, a, an arc um of some sort and then uh, and then you know call pino say hey can come over and listen to this and, and and tell me what you think and and he would go oh that's great you know i'd change a drum pattern or something by half timing the drums or something like that i you know i can't remember it but just for you know example i would i would alter what the drums were doing at a certain point and it would give him an idea and he would replay it you know a new baseline over it so all of a sudden we had a b section you know there are things like that that would occur did you do uh, that to break it out of the loop ecoute as well yeah i think it was i think ecoute was the first song we started working on together oh. um so when when i when i was working on the john legend record um uh pino and chris dave were the rhythm section on that and we were in new york to play Uh, the premiere of the, the album or a late night thing. I can't remember. And, um, and, uh, and Pino invited me down to uh, uh, an engineer called Ben Kane, uh, his, his home studio to play on a, a track of Pino's, Pino's music. And that was the first time I'd ever heard his own stuff. And that was Ecoute. Mm. Um, And, and it was essentially, it was essentially a loop. And I think maybe Pino had a couple of bass lines. He would go back and forth between for sections and, and there were horns. Um, I think Marcus, all of Marcus Strickland's stuff was already on there and there were some vocals and, and other parts. And I played the, um, 
the fuzz guitar, the baritone fuzz guitar thing. Mm -hmm. That kind of sounds like a, uh, a sax, a baritone sax. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and just had a great time, you know, and, and then maybe a, a month or two later, you know, asked him about that song and, and how things were going. So I haven't really, you know, worked on it since then. And uh, I said, would you mind if I, if I got that session from Ben and just kind of had a look through, um, through like what I played and the song and, and, uh, and made a comp for you or something like that. And, um, and so I got the session from Ben and, and then we opened it up in my house and started kind of conspiring, like, you know, all the different things that you could do with this and um, just with what's there, uh, manipulating what's there in the box, you know, with um, plugins or edits. I was wondering about it... that because you freaked me out with, uh, with the drum part there. Um, my favorite part, it's a tiny part but my favorite part from the song is this. Uh-huh. Uh you know what, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, whoa, I need to, I need to learn this, but I couldn't find, I couldn't find the one. You know, I couldn't find, I was, it was too, took me a long time. And finally, I think like 10 minutes ago, I mean, 10 minutes before we started talking, mm -hmm. uh, You repeat it a little bit different, but you repeat it in, on, in the end. And there it starts with an upbeat to the one. But da 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 da. And I think yeah. this is how it is before. But what you do with the drums there, and I was, to me, it sounded live. You know, it, it sounded like live drums playing that way. And I can imagine uh, Chris Dave doing that type of stuff, you know, and I've heard him do yeah. that type of stuff. But it's fascinating to hear that it was you in a way. Um, well, I don't know if I'm, if, if I'm sure exactly which drum thing you're thinking of, but I didn't, the only things I did to Chris's drums were on that song, um, were, were isolating certain microphones to make it sound like a dynamic change. Oh. Um, so even though the, the loop has, you know, continued or that you've heard the performance, um, you're, you're, it sounds a little like you know, the song is all responding to the drummer. Everything in the song is responding to the drummer all of a sudden playing differently mm. when in fact, it's just, you know, a, you know, transient designing to make the, the, the decay shorter and make it sound like it's being played softer and, um, and, and, you know, changing the, the balance of the microphones. Oh, okay. Um, but then the timing, the only thing that would have like actually changed the pattern is like halfway through that song when it kind of drops and it sounds like the drums get pitched down and are like going yeah. through a washing machine. That's just halftime. Yeah. Like slowed down halftime and, 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 um, and an octave, you know, lower the drums, but same, you know, same part, same playing. Um, that little figure, uh, I think, I think that was something I played in New York. I think that was something, a guitar part I had added in New York. Super cool. Um, but, um, but there's also a combination of, well, let me think about this for a second, because there's a bunch of guitars that Pino played initially, like the, the intro guitars um, are Pino, like the kind of like DI um, acoustic sound. Those are, 
those were original, um, maybe like even the foundation of the idea, uh, the song. And then uh, maybe the harmony you're thinking of, that might've been something I played on top of that line. You know, it's like kind of a, it's, it sounds like it could have been like a Fela Kuti yeah. horn line or something. I think that's sort of the, the inspiration behind this track for him. Wow. I love it. I was playing cool, along I'm to glad. that, you know, uh, it's so great. I mean, I was playing along to the whole record. It's just so much fun. And there's so much stuff that comes at you when you play over it, you know, so much mm. stuff to, to obviously it's, it's not intended as a playback. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but that's sure. what I always do. You know, uh, I like something and I, I, I want to be, I want to be in it. I want to be part of it. You know? Yeah. So I, I play along. I'm, I remember doing that just in my imagination with my favorite records. And it felt like, it felt like um, I was practicing uh, be, being in an ensemble, practicing playing in a band or something, you know, yeah. because you, you're, you're responding to what's happening, but you're also trying not to step on anything that somebody else does. Yeah. And it helped. It's sort of like you're playing in a band of people who aren't listening to you. Yeah. You know, which is well, there's probably some good, some good um, lessons in there. You know, yep. like uh, to just kind of be to really get that that ear muscle working. Absolutely. But yeah, playing with others—that's something that I wanted to talk to you about. Is um, what does it mean to you to lock in with somebody? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it. I'm not sure like how I would describe or ascribe meaning to it. I, I think there's a, um, there's just a real joy in finding a, a rhythm, you know, with, with other people or, or with, with people with, with what they're playing. Um, I don't know. It's just part of the satisfaction of, of making music, you know, at, at all, you know, to begin with. I think there's something to be said for like what rhythm does to your brain where like it, it presents you a pattern that allows you to anticipate where something is going, is going to land, like something that's coming is going to fall. You know, that's, that's part of the, the reward system of music is, is, um, is I think kind of like it playing with your expectations and rewarding that. And then sometimes challenging that a little bit, but still at the other side of that, there's a, some kind of a reward, mm. you know, um, whether that's the, the somebody playing with the bar and playing over it or, or um, doing a variation on something that's expected. All those things are like little, little treats for yeah. your, your mind's eye. I think that's uh, part of the joy that that I experience, you know, playing with other people is that they they bring something beyond your imagination, beyond your your um, your own sort of vocabulary uh, to the table, and that's just infinitely more interesting, you know. Yeah, I mean the first um, of those. Uh of those trio videos 
of of you guys playing that material. Oh, by the way, when did you record this? Was it after the after the after the record? After the record. That so it's yeah. quite recently or yeah, pretty recently. We we did the we did the live videos. I think it was like late December. Um, mm. where we went in we went to the studio and it was the first time most of that stuff had ever been played live. Because I mean, even uh, in the record, most of the record was built in layers. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and even some of the melodies came after the, 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 the sessions and the tracks had begun, like just wrong was for a while it was just the bass line and the chord progression there wasn't the melody there wasn't the um it wasn't until larry goldings came in and, and to to play mellotron that pino even said like i have this idea for a melody that i've been hearing in my head and um and just kind of hummed it Yeah, sang it to Larry, um, and then uh, and then Larry reharmonized that and uh, or just added harmony to it, and then later on Sam came in and and kind of reinforced the melody. Mm -hmm. um, so, and there's also this, the, there's the response melody with the fretless bass harmonics. Yeah. Um, that stuff that was all like an additional thought you know an additional idea so when we got together to do the the in studio live videos we were kind of for listening to the what we had done on the recording and figuring out like how okay how do we perform this you know where's the composition hmm. um what's what's necessary to the composition to, to you know to display And um, and like Pino figured out a way somehow to do the bass harmonics and the bass line at the same time, yeah. you know, uh, which is in, insane. And um, and uh, Sam kind of remapped a way to uh, execute some of the harmonies and stuff with his his pedals um, live. Some of the harmonies that that Larry had come up with. So. Um, It's very interesting yeah, how he does it also on the on the seven uh, off the cuff where you guys are yeah. playing the triads over the bass line, you know? In the bum, in the solo bum. section? Oh, bum, on... bum, 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 yeah. bum, Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Not the right Are you talking in, in Men from Molise? Or oh, in the live right. so, video, yeah, I mix wrong. it. I mix it up. Yeah, on the on the C part, you know, where you play the C. Yeah. Know? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know if right. you heard it correctly, but you know, but there's uh, the triads going on. You know. Yes. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah, that, that was, was fascinating really to see with him with the pedals there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's he's doing so much math. Um, off the top of his head and it never sounds like somebody counting you know but he's doing so much it's like 
kind of like pedal steel um, in a way. But, uh, but that, that's, I mean, that whole day was really fun. Just kind of like we would sit and listen to the song on playback in the room and kind of like, you know, get to a certain section and be like, okay, stop it. Can you stop it? Pause it there. Mm. And just sort of like look at each other and be like, you know, and like figure out some of the harmony and stuff. And like a lot of stuff was improvised on the, the record too. So yeah. Can you I know, ask you what, about one moment? It was like, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, and yeah. then it goes in a, it goes there later mm -hmm. on first when i heard it and it's also the other sittings after that i was i was like sure that this was improvised because it sounds mm -hmm. loud so you know laissez-faire in the yeah. moment like and i was also fascinated by okay we're playing in c but the guy is you know he's playing in e major uh, you know e major mm -hmm. somehow and it sounds so something like maybe wayne shorter could have played on something like that you know um like who would think of that but yes, when I I then when I, yeah but then when i saw the, the the trio video i was like wait he's playing it again is is it is it the song or it's sort of a thing that happened in the moment and and uh and it was like okay well if we're going to represent the song and look this could absolutely change over the course of the lifetime of the song like we may it, it may not uh, it may not need to be treated so much like a theme um down the road but at the time and still right now it just feels like something to represent you know it's worth representing yeah it's uh it's like it's so quotable yeah. you know and and when you get to that section if that doesn't happen if you're familiar with the song, if it, if we got to that point and didn't play that, it just felt a little like wrong. Like we, yeah. you know, um, plus there's something about the fact that, so on the record, that moment was totally spontaneous, but um, there's something, it, it has a different meaning when it's presented uh, intentionally, you know, with, with, with the two of us playing it in unison on the live video. Yeah. It, it does, it does land a little differently. It comes across more like a, um, a theme than a, than a, than an impromptu moment like it does on the album. Yeah. So two versions of the, of the same thing, but no, that was totally, you know, Sam just kind of coming up with, I think we had that section as a like pre, there was no solo or anything going on in it for a minute as a as a, a kind of like a round before the the trace solo mm. um so it was like does this need something does this need something you know and that went on for like months or whatever and then finally we just like, let's just call sam you know and come in <laughs> right and try something and that's what he came up with and we we're like well that's that but it never sounds on i mean on the whole record i mean a couple of exceptions but it never really sounds like, okay, here's the solo. Here's your solo. Now just jam or whatever, you know? Yeah. One well, there's a lot of, a lot of like sensitivity around soloing on the record because um, it's really not meant to display anybody's virtuosity. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, there's like, there's some virtuosic ideas happening and there's some, there's some really like incredible playing happening, but it's not presented um, to, to be admired on its, like on those merits. Mm. You know, it's, it's supposed to be um, musical and fun and, and, um, and thrilling, Yeah, you know? Um, So the, the, there were just a few things that I think we, everybody naturally wanted to avoid um, with the idea of, of it, of it being a, an instrumental album or a solo album, uh, um, you know, from, from like the two of us who are, who are both instrumentalists, but not really like not trying to prove anything um, on the instrument, you know, with this, Mm. with this music. Um, Yeah. It was like, I I think, you know what I mean? Like trying to, trying not to, uh, we we were, we were trying not to make like the, the Neo soul record, you know, the obvious thing that people might expect from, from Pino, um, was just like we never even had to talk about like what if we don't make it that you know like it was just like it was not going to happen but there's still there are still moments of that that kind of clock you know and that 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 sort of rhythmic identity and um and and some sensibilities there but like there there isn't the there there aren't a lot of the frills you know uh, on the record that to be honest might have happened might happen more naturally for for people like us in music with a vocalist like where where you, you've got something to sort of like hang those little those little um gestures on you've got like a, a, a central identity right to to where if you do something kind of like you know some flight of fancy in between two vocal lines at least it feels like you're adding to something that's still greater than you. Right. But if it's an mm-hmm. instrumental record or if it's, if, if it's a record and it's, it's the, under the names, the artist names of the instrumentalists, it feels a little more like there's a spotlight and expected sort of, um, you know, all right, what have you got? Yeah. Right. Um, it's tempting kind of thing. Well, it's, it's, it's confusing <laughs> for me more than anything, because it's like, there's an expectation and I don't feel you know, this is just me personally talking, not, not for anybody else, but like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I can always deliver the, uh, the expectation, Mm. you know, of that sort of, that sort of thing either. So it's not like I'm just sitting on all these like incredible licks that I could be playing, (laughs) you know, just kind of like, well, I'm not going to do any of them. It's, it really does come down to like, I think, sometimes there's misconceptions of, you know, what somebody would do or could do uh, as well. And like, mm-hmm. really we're, we're, we're just trying to make something that we can sort of loosely see in our heads and, and hear, you know, but, um, but, uh, but it's delicate and, and it's, and it's hard to uncover that, uh, that result. So there's very little time to sit back on it and go, all right, now what would I do if I was just going to blow over this, you know, (laughs) this section? Um, You know, it's just, 
we don't have that kind of we don't have that that sort of mentality that approach to it i mean i think it's good for the music but it's not what uh what usually would be the case for people like you uh or people of um yeah as you said where where certain things are expected from like now we don't have a singer now we can finally play you know that's yeah right. that's also in there you know <laughs> yeah. but so that you don't go there is even more amazing and um yeah what was i going to say I, yeah the thing is what i wanted to say is with the with the live videos in terms of locking in with somebody i was so amazed with uh, uh just wrong how you guys were together and this is why i was i was asking what does it mean to you to lock in with somebody because there was no drums and there was also um i don't know if there was any percussion i don't i think i only saw the video to just wrong only once the other ones yeah was, there was no there were no no percussion there was no what there was going on was like sort of a steady just a pulse that we could hear um that doesn't really it was not loud enough to where um it was coming through right. you know anything else it was just kind of a oh right okay and it, and it kind of it kind of helped us keep our tempos consistent from you know one section to the other i think when we had it going we thought oh this will sound cool but it, it just we weren't listening to it loud enough to where it registered ultimately when we you know when we listen mm. back um so uh so there's 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 some tempo consistency there um that that is because of that that um you know that that bass drum loop but uh but beyond that it was um I think it was the first one that we we tried to tackle and so the the amount of listening by everybody was like at its peak you know, yeah the whole day or you just sort of like really you're really tuned in you don't want to you don't want to um you don't want to make a mistake but you also like we all three of us barely had a grasp on on like what we were doing and where we were in the song, what we were like supposed to play next. <laughs> it really, that day felt like, like really just out of reach for, for, for us at certain points, you know, and we, there were a few songs where we, we attempted a take and it was just like, so obvious that that was the rehearsal. You know, we were like, okay, I kind of know what I'm supposed to do now. Um, But then we'd play the song again and it would have, have that same kind of elusive feeling of like for me this this music is really really pushing the um my boundaries as, as i'm not a jazz musician i don't have i don't have that under my hands and like in my like kind of quick go-to reach um that harmony that's sort of like you know when you hear a chord in your head and you know what chord it is um, you know, that for me, like in the, in the sort of standard repertoire of records is, is pretty easily gettable. But when you start, when you start hearing chords superimposed on each other, 
you know, two or three times over, like some of this music is, um, uh, is built with, it becomes really hard to know like where you are in the song or in the chord progression, because as far so as I know, I'm, I'm just contributing this, this F sharp major chord, but I know the chord is not an F sharp major chord. And I know like what Sam's playing is different and, you know, I don't even know what note Pino's playing. But you know, so hang on, where do you get those information though? Where does Sam know where, what he's supposed to play and wh where do you know that you're playing an F sharp major? Well, it's in, in like the example of just wrong, that chord progression, most of that chord progression was written by Pino. Um, so, so like I'll, I'll know, I'll know this shape, you know, as he wrote it and it's an F sharp shape, but it's, it's really just an extension of, of, of the chord that we're all collectively playing together. Right. Which is not an F sharp chord. Yeah. You know, and so, and there'll be like, you know, 12 of those in a row. And I just never, I was, I was never like, I never went through the process of figuring out, okay, what actually are the chords here? Yeah. What actually is going on? What are they standing um, for? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and like, sometimes, sometimes I'll know, and then other times I won't. And I'll just be like, I, I just, you know, it's that chord, you know, it's that sound. And I'll go, oh, yeah. Or, or you recognize it on guitar and you're like, oh yeah, I know that chord, you know, but I'd never use it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just, it's unfamiliar to me. It's a little unfamiliar to me. And, and I, it's part of what I enjoy about, um, you know, being, about collaborating on this, this music with him. So in. do you think that this has definitely extended your vocabulary, this record, this? Oh yeah. Mm. I mean, it's, it's challenged a lot of, a lot of things about my, my ear, but there's something really approachable about Pino's sense of harmony. I think. Um, yeah. There's something really, listenable about like all the places that it goes sometimes there would be little things to the music that like I felt like maybe I would bring that would help establish that aspect of it or strengthen that aspect of it um you know the the the, the maybe some things that um on just wrong I'm trying to think of what I would call the section. Um, it's kind of the it's it's what we go to to get back to the verse after the after the B section. So it kind of goes into a an F sharp, um, um, seven, yeah, uh, and uh, and then it goes into like a uh, like an F sharp over E, right, kind of thing, and then and then an A seven. I think that that section. I, I came up with just based on what, where my, where my ear led me to from what he'd written just previously, you know, sort of like, it was like what it seemed, it was almost, almost like a fake out, like he was going to go in this direction, but instead, you know, went back and I said, well, what if we continued in that direction and yeah. like went, went to where it might suggest it's going to go. Um, And, uh, and so there's some things that, that, that I think just sort of 
you know, travel with your ear uh, on the record that, um, that came from me and, 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 uh, but most, most of them came from him. I think I've, I don't know if that is a bit nerdy now, but I think I found another augmented chord of yours in the music that I felt like this, it has to be from Blake. Uh, which song? I think it's uh, on uh, notes with attachment. Yeah, notes with attachments. Uh -huh. And it goes from B flat seven, uh, B flat to B flat augmented, and then to G flat over B flat to E major. It's like. I play him. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, that sounds yeah. like Blake. Yeah. Yeah, so that song, that song came from, that was one of the only things that we, on this record, started from uh, not one of Pino's compositions. It was something from Larry. He came by wow. and was playing a bunch of little things that he had saved, you know, similar to where a lot of the Pino stuff had come from, just like little voice memos or sessions or snippets of things and uh uh so the the kind of melody and and chords and the modulation were present in this idea and he had the the midi saved because I mean, he'd initially done it on like a soft synth so um i took the midi and sent that out to a, a bunch of different analog synths and things that could receive MIDI um, and that were all in different parts of the live room. And, um, and then each of them was going through a really slow tremolo. So a lot of the information would um, be missing, you know, from, from, from each instrument, there'd be a lot of silence and it would just kind of only come in for a minute, play some of the part and then go away. And, um, and so that created this like conversation from different instruments um, in, the, in the live room. And, uh, and you didn't really know what it was gonna be, you know, where certain phrases were gonna happen and on what mm -hmm. keyboard and what sound. Um, and, uh, and then in a few spots, I went in and changed some of the harmony and, and or added notes and stuff. And, And that was one of them was just kind of like creating a little tension. I played some Ebo uh, uh, fretless guitar to kind of sound like flutes and stuff. And I think maybe yeah. that's what helped add that augmented part. It was just that arrangement of, um, of those guitars. But, uh, but yeah, I can't get away. I think if, if there's ever music where it's like, it's like, oh, this is Cordy. This is Cordy <laughs> music. <laughs> My contribution is going to be, some form of an augmented chord and, you know, <laughs> like hey but you know bet you guys never heard one of these before <laughs> you know uh, it helped me it helped me because it helped me to strengthen my because it functions as a as a such a great color as a dominant color mm -hmm. to to go somewhere else especially to a major chord you know because it to me there's a mystique in it completely it's like completely. what is it i mean um it's whimsical it's kind yeah. of like 
it has a it suggests uh it it suggests that it's like it there's there's more to the story yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It sets it sets you up for whatever's coming next because you know that there's something coming yeah and also um harmonically speaking you can go to so many chords with one augmented chord you know mm. it can take you to not not just the obvious like five one thing yeah. you can go from you know yeah yeah and you know there's so many different ways to and even more like more than that um to to go so it's like a if you have it that's like a junction to anywhere Totally. And that moment that you, you referred to um, Sam's solo and man from Molise, to me, it, it scratches the same itch, the E over C. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it, it has that, it has that color um, of the augmented and the, the sharp four um, yeah. in it that are so like otherworldly. Sharp five, know? right? Has the sharp five for the augmented, but it also has the sharp four because he's doing G sharp to F sharp. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. and the and, you know in major seven, so it's it has this like whole tone scale thing going on for a second, but also the 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 major seven, you know. So it's just you really get this like that was that's that was what was so important about working on this music about the the the. I don't know what it's called, but when you, when you have those superpositions of chords over, like just triad chords over one another, um, that it was just like working with a whole new dimension. You know, it's like a whole new category of compositional tools that I'm. I'm they're still. It feels like a new puzzle and the pieces of which are just all scattered around the table. But as I'm continuing to write, it's just like, there's all these new things that you can try and see if it fits. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, coming up with ways to play it on guitar. And of course it'll sound like one thing on guitar and another on piano. So mm -hmm. I'm going back and forth between the two instruments to, you know, get ideas, um, you know, for one another. Cool. I'm looking forward to hear that. Thanks. Uh, Me too. <laughs> are you are you working on something new, like a new record or something? Or yeah, I mean, I'm just just writing. All, you know, always writing when there's sort of an impetus. Um, mm. And uh, working with Chris, right, um, a yeah. lot. And uh, and there's another, you know, new song with with Pino that we've been we've been um, kind of chipping away at. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely more more stuff to come at some point hopefully soon and um it was funny when you in our last conversation you were like yeah i feel like probably i'm going to release uh something else sooner than i would usually do and two months after that i get a new record <laughs> <You know>? yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i forgot i don't think i was even considering that i mean i knew we were going to put it out soon but i don't think we had set on the date because you know the pandemic just changed everything we were going to release it towards the end of last year, maybe, or like third quarter of last year, because I was going to be on the road for Mutable Set. 
and then we were going to put this out and I would just stay on the road and tour this music with Bino. That's um, interesting you know, because I usually I when I read interviews of yours I get the feeling that you don't really appreciate it's so much being on the road or something or it's not something that you feel like doing yeah. most of the time. Yeah, well, I think there's some pressure that I feel when I'm touring my own music that is not necessarily there when I'm a member of a band, um, you know, or, or backing somebody else up. Um, so, so it's not, it's, I wouldn't say that all, all touring uh, is, is equally intense feeling for me, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the, to be honest, the pandemic sort of changes everything, right? I mean, yeah. it takes it takes that option off the table. So, right there, you already there's this sort of thing like you can't have it, so you want it more. Mm -hmm. But um, but but maybe even more meaningfully, there's um, there's now a clearer sense. I have a clearer sense of why live music uh, is important to so many people. And I didn't really have that before um, because th the reasons why it was important to me were different than why mm -hmm. I figured it was important to an audience member. You know, the, now I, I have a certain um, respect for it that I don't think I, I had previously just the profundity of a shared experience, Yeah. Um, you know, and something that is, so different from what you do every day you know the fact that like when we went into the studio to make those live in studio videos for this stuff that was the first time i had heard any you know unrecorded music any any music being played other than just me at the house isn't know, that a crazy feeling i mean isn't it yeah it was insane it was yeah. it was like you know, it, it just felt like the first hit of something. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, uh, it made me realize that like for, for a lot of people who do go to shows and love live music, that, um, that, that is uh, separate from what they, they get to in, in do every day, you know, or, or from, from their regular experience. Like it is, a, it's a celebration um, and a really meaningful one. And so, um, it's changed. It's changed my perspective on on that. But even before the pandemic, I was excited to go out and tour Mutable Set because I was going to just do those shows as a trio with Sam Gundell and Aaron Embry, and um, and to play music with those two every night. Oh, with and we were, you know, we were going to do some of Aaron's songs in the in the set and some of Sam's songs in the set. So there was that load off a little bit on me of like, I don't really want to go and, and like play through an hour and a half of my own music, <laughs> whether anybody would want to hear it or not. I don't, it just but, but doesn't. Why, can you explain a little bit more? It's like being asked to, it just feels, <laughs> I don't know. It would have to comprise the set would have to be comprised of material from like 
multiple records and like okay mm-hmm. some of those records are i was like oh, those songs are just not a part of of my like consciousness anymore i don't know how to how i play them and and i really feel inside of them mm-hmm. um you know or, or 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 reinvent them or something yeah um so there's a certain like Ah, I would love to go and play these shows, but I wish we could just do covers. You know, I mean, there's a, there's like a, there, there's something. But can I ask you, my own music. yeah, who's preventing you from doing that? Nobody's preventing me, but I feel like it's not what would be, it's not why people would be going to those shows. And I think it would be, I'm sort of torn because it, I think it would be a disappointment to some of those people. And I don't want to, like, I don't, I don't take joy in, in, in bringing that disappointment. Sure. Um, it doesn't mean that I, like there aren't plenty of occasions where like we go out and just play some, shows of cover songs like that happens, but they're not billed as, um, you know, an evening with, Blake Mills or something like yeah. that. So it's just, it, it would feel a little like false advertising mm-hmm. in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of, of a show of some of my music, some of Aaron's music, some of Sam's music, yeah. I feel like that would be, I, I still feel like there's a generosity in that, in that. And it would be a gift to anybody who's a fan of my music. You know, sure. I, I would feel, I'd feel comfortable with that um i didn't want to uh didn't want to uh convince you or anything but i get the feeling like um if i like blake mills i'm gonna pay money to see him play whatever he feels like i think there's some people i mean i'm 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 the same way i don't i don't go to a show with an expectation um but the the um there's a there is I, I sort of place place it on myself like I mean when you do your own shows do you ever think like um I mean do, do you do you do you ever feel a little like burned out on your own material and and kind of like want to switch it out and and uh you know throw other stuff in there like I don't sit around and play my own songs at home all day mm-hmm. you know and I certainly don't Uh, like like on 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 the radio or whatever, on on Sonos, and I don't sit down and play through my songs when I'm, you know, playing guitar. Right. So there's already something kind of performative, um, about about doing that at a show. So it's it's it isn't the sort of natural like you're just coming to see what this musician is is going to do in their free space and their time. Um, you know in that case so it's it, it, it i the best case scenario i think is designing a show where you can you can play those songs in a way that you feel inside of them while you're playing them and sometimes that means changing something about it and yeah and if that if that just dis- disrupts somebody somebody's um, listening experience that doesn't bug me as much because I know why I'm doing it, you know, like, and maybe that person wanted to hear the record version of the song and 
And like, I just think that that's maybe an, an unreasonable expectation in 2020 or 2021 to like yeah. be like shocked when you go to the show and the band or the artist isn't playing the record for you. Um, like get over it. But the, yeah. you know, showing up and, and <laughs> like, I would be, I'd be kind of pumped if, if like some on the idea of going to a show, like it, if Cass McCombs had a show and he was like, you know, tonight I'm, I'm going to be strictly doing Lucinda Williams songs. I would, I would have a laugh, you know, but I would also understand that, that people in the audience were like, come on, you know, come on, bro. And it's there's not because Lucinda of, songs aren't great. There's the story of Friedrich Gulda, the Austrian classical piano player who also did a little bit of jazz playing. And he was, uh, uh, yeah, um, extravagant uh, figure, did crazy stuff, but was very well regarded in the classical world also. So he did this piano show at a, you know, big hall. And uh, he was like, he was coming out to announce, which rarely they, they do that rarely in the, in the classical world, you know, mm -hmm. usually there's the program presented to the to the audience and they know what's being played and they know when to clap and whatever so he's like tonight i'm going to play schoenberg for you guys and the audience was expecting beethoven you know oh wow so he was like i'm going to play schoenberg for you tonight and yeah. uh so the audience was like oh this this wasn't what i paid for i'm going to leave you know give get give me my money back or whatever yeah. So most of the audience left. And then he was like, and now I'm going to play Beethoven for you because yeah. you're the right guys, you know, you, you, <laughs> you stayed, you know. And that really reminds me of something wow. that is so important to me of another classical piano player, Claudio Arao. He wrote a book about playing the piano. And he, he said something that is so important to me. He said, always play for the ideal listener. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. Because that gives yeah. you all the freedom to do whatever, you know, who's the ideal listener for you? Yeah. You and you, you that, sort of manifest it. Yeah. Yeah. Within you. Yeah. And then you can do whatever in a way. I feel like. That's wonderful. Uh, absolutely. And it, it prevents you from pigeonholing your audience or like dumbing something down, you know, and babying your listeners and stuff. It, it really, that's, that's uh fantastic advice and um i'm gonna i'll remember that you know I'll keep thinking that too just in terms of decision making it's good you know like compositionally and mm -hmm. i think of like where should where sh how should i feel um with this idea how should this make me feel like well um uh, sometimes i i look at i look at it like Maybe it's a little, a little, a little um, less healthy. It's not the ideal listener. It's like, I think of it as, what would the listener who's like not predisposed to liking me or my music? Mm -hmm. How would this hit them? You know, like somebody who's not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That's not like. 
it, that's not monolithic. Like there are people who are not, would never be fans of my music and, and that's not who I have in mind, but there is sort of like somebody who, uh, whose, whose opinions of my music, I might actually be inclined to agree with, you know, <laughs> their negative, their criticisms are like, you know, like, you know, mostly right. So, uh, I kind of like, sometimes I have that person in my head, that sort of devil's advocate yeah. and, uh, and use that to, to try to break level, through. Level it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, what would be the best way to listen to the new record? I don't know. I don't know because I don't know what experience people are supposed to have with it. Right. But I mean, just in terms of sound, why oh. do you think it sounds best? Hmm. Because I heard from somebody that um, maybe you were misquoted or I don't know. Uh, somebody said that you prefer CD sound of your music to LP sound. Yeah, I think, you know, LPs, there's, there's some things that happen in translation when you're, when you're pressing to vinyl, just sonically. Um, and when that was the popular medium, people made records with that in mind. So, they chose sounds um, and treated sounds and mixed music with the knowledge that this is going to end up on vinyl, you know, and certain things are going to pop out and other things are going to get lost if, you know, we, if we, if we don't um, treat them as such. So all the time that I spend working on the mix or the balance or the subtleties of a record um, are with a certain, like based on the medium of, of, of the digital realm, you know, there's a certain detail and a certain kind of like flatness that, that, that provides, um, and a noise floor. When you, when you transfer certain things to vinyl, sometimes it's really flattering. Like sometimes things that were not intended to be on vinyl can sound, you know, better, quote unquote, better on vinyl um, because it's, it's kind of like applying a filter to a photo. You know, sometimes you do it and you're like, oh, that makes it look way better. Mm. Um, but, uh, but for the most part, the, the, the stuff that I work on where we've spent time on the mix, it's, it's with the intention that that's going to be preserved. Um, That to say nothing of like the, the variety and ways in which people can still listen to um, digital music, you know, and how that can sound drastically different in one right. scenario um, from the next. But with vinyl, that's still the case because you've got the variance in people's, you know, home systems or whatever they're listening through plus the added noise floor, plus the fact that, you know, it's a physical medium. So every record sounds different from the next. You don't have that with CDs. Mm. There's just, there are a lot more variables. And when I said that and, and was quoted as saying that it was in um, uh, respect to Hi Ho, where there was a lot of bottom end information and then a lot of sort of like 
extreme kind of air top stuff to balance that out. And with vinyl, you lose, you know, you lop off a certain amount at the bottom that can't physically be reproduced without making the needle jump. You mono a lot of bottom end for similar reasons on, on vinyl and, and you lose some top. Um, so it just, it's changed the, the, um, the bandwidth of, of that music. And, uh, and I didn't really, you know, I would have done a different mix for vinyl. Mm. That was, you know, what was intended and some of the choices that we made, you know, sonically, I just would have made, I would have gone a different route. Um, but I, I, there's some, good cases to be made for certain records. I'm sure, you know, that the vinyl is far superior. I mean, especially things that were intended for vinyl. There's, there's some remasters of stuff that were done in the 2000s and in the 90s that are questionable, but there's some remasters that are actually really good. And the reason they were done is because when you listen to that, you know, um, on a CD or digitally, it's, it's quite harsh. Mm. And it wouldn't be on vinyl. So how about the new record? Um, I'll tell you when I have a chance to listen to it, because we, we've had some problems with the vinyl pressing on this one. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it appears like it might actually cause a delay in, you know, when we'll, we'll be able to start sending those out, the pre-orders of those, mm -hmm. um, fulfilling those. Because the... Um, things are so backed up now. And I know, I think two of the plants last year had fires, you know, there's like very few, very few places where they're still pressing and manufacturing um, that are accessible. And it takes so long to get a test pressing, listen to it, get, um, uh, you know, if there's any problems with it, you know, have them take another pass at it. Mm ship that out you listen you're like nope the problem is still there and they're like okay mm -hmm. well that means you got to recut you know um and the, a lot of the, the places that we use are not even functioning right now for mm -hmm. those because the the, the the pandemic so um i think it can sound really good um because it's a short record i think we can get volume Mm. um i when we did it uh the the guy that we used um ian Shefik, he he didn't have to mono any of the bottom end and there's a lot of sort of subtle subtle stereo bottom end stuff going on so he was like i don't think i have to touch that i think you'll be fine because you can make the grooves so wide because of the the track length the uh, the running length mm -hmm. so i'm excited i think it could be really good Mm. Um, it's definitely not one of those kind of records where I'm going into it thinking like, we're just going to, we're just going to lose something, you know, at final. Tell me about the mind of Chris Dave. Mind of Chris Dave. That started from similar, similarly to Ecoute. It was a recording that Pino had made uh, at his apartment. No, his house in London, I think. And um, Chris was playing like a little child's drum kit 
like a baby, like, you know, the little tiny drum set. Uh, and Pino had this bass line and it was just the loop. It just kind of went uh, around and, and there was just the one section. So it was like one of those, again, one of those instances of trying to build more, more sections and, and more music off of this, uh, all that we had. Um, uh, I, I don't remember how long the loop was, but you know, maybe 32 some odd bars or something like that. And, uh, and what else is on that track even instrumentally? I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm Some drawing a bit of a blank. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like some rubber bridge guitar. That's um, that's just one guitar, and then it's it's delay is panned. You know, like once a hard pan, and then the delay is panned on the other side. Like if you if you uh, if you take one headphone out and listen, you know, it's just the one the one on its own, which was helpful when, when I was trying to remember what I played on it uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> the other day we were filming we've got these visualizers that are going to be I think they'll be out by the time this airs because the uh, you know when you listen to music on YouTube people make these visualizers now so that uh, um, like whether it's you know lyric video or an, an animation or something like that um, we're doing we're kind of going extra on the visualizers for this with the uh, uh, director who I made a, the music video for Vanishing Twin with um, Justin Dashur Hopkins. Mm -hmm. He's, he, we had this idea of kind of making an instructional video like those old instrumentalists, you know, like how to, I don't know, it wasn't like how to play uh, necessarily, but it was, you know, like the Victor Wooten kind of, mm -hmm bass instructional video right kind of thing uh crossing that with like the the brady bunch intro grid mm -hmm. uh system you know uh and um and the fact that like the, there are a lot of kind of surrealist sounds on the record and um you know guitars that don't sound like guitars you know, strings that do sound like guitars, just stuff, stuff like that. So we, uh, we just the other day went back over and, and, and kind of relearned the rest of the record, not in such a way to perform it as a trio, like we did for the live videos, but, but like, if we were, if we were displaying, you know, these parts, um, you know, this is what, what they would look like. So with that, with that, uh, that section in mind of Chris Dave with the delayed guitars or whatever. I was just like, Justin's going to be super easy. I'm just going to play this one time. And then all you got to do is just take the video and <laughs> yeah. double it up, you know, instead of it's a slight delay. Um, but to remember what I played, I had to take one of the headphones out and just listen to the one side. Cool. When moments uh, during the recording process where you brought somebody in to do something and, uh, that person totally did something that you had, you know, didn't, did not expect at all. I mean, Sam usually does that. And Larry, 
yeah. usually does that. I feel like there's always, there's an expectation of what I, what I hope um, is achieved by what somebody plays, not necessarily knowing how they're going to achieve it or like what, what should be played to achieve it. You bring somebody in from uh, a function, you mean? Yeah, sometimes. Like with this record, there were there were plenty of instances where we would we would just have this feeling about a certain section of a song that it wasn't quite doing something yet, you know. Um, so sometimes you you bring in a player to just respond and and uh, to, to what what to the music and and, and come up with. Um, yeah some options of, of things and sometimes what they play is just like saves it you know it's like that's the missing piece um other times it's it's like they do something and it ends up going in another section like or you know you give them a pass from the top of the song and they what they do on this part that you thought was complete it's like now so much better yeah um so there's you know you you sort of know that you don't know what you're going to get with these kinds of musicians. Like that's, that's why you reach out to them. All the stuff that I, that I had an expectation for, um, I would just figure out a way to play, you know, like I wouldn't want to bring somebody in and then dictate the mm. thing that I was hearing. Um, that's I, I, I that, that just didn't really, that wasn't, relevant to this music of the process of making this record when i was listening to it i felt like um and i want to talk to you about this uh of course i love the music of d'angelo and uh of course i had recognized the greatness of pino's playing in that music but I had not really an idea about how his sound or his influence on how big his influence on the sound of that music is until I heard this record. Hmm. Does it make sense to you? Yeah, there's a bit of a, a context um, context there. But I think the way Pino puts it, he's like that that thing, like that a lot of that bottom end voice is is present in the way that D'Angelo plays piano. Like mm -hmm. the way he shows the idea, the composition, um, you know, on piano, whether he's intending to keep the piano there or not, a lot of that, um, that timing and that space uh, will already be there. And, and I think maybe where they, where they, get on so great is that that concept is not limited to what D'Angelo is, you know, is doing with his, you know, with his, with his left hand in that instance. So in other words, it's, it's not like it's, 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 a, it's something that Pino can immediately hear and understand and go, got it, you know, yeah. and it's a language that he's, he's able to speak and he's fluent in and he can, he's got his own ideas um, you know, to, to play off of that. I think they just, you know, they're kind of, they're connected in that way. 
Um, uh, the the way like Pino's sense of timing is so precise. It's so microscopic, like how he can hear certain things that just like he can differentiate between the smallest little um, nudge of something mm. to where the um, the intention of a part or the feeling of a part it comes not only from the melody and and its harmony um, or the rhythm of that melody, but the execution of the rhythm yeah, of phrasing, um, yeah. Yeah, where in the bar it's placed, it's like it it's so intentional that it gives a, a new meaning, you know, or it defines the meaning sometimes of like what's being played. Yeah. And uh I've never I, I've never been so aware of that concept uh, as as I was when we were working on this music. The first song that comes to mind with when we talk about that is the is that also the C C part um, with this where it's in seven on Man from Molise, mm -hmm. how he executes that that line and difference differentiates between the length of the nose and where where they are placed. Yeah, and it still feel, feels palpable and and uh, like something that's living. It's not you know not like this. You know, no, never. you know, when you try to define it, it actually starts to slip away from you. Like when you try to like put your finger on exactly what the timing is of that section, it, you, you understand it even less. <laughs> and, and I think that was kind of what I was finding when, when, you know, as just sort of a part of the fabric of the chord, you know, or of the arrangement that if I, If I tried to grasp it in the way that I'm used to understanding the music that I'm playing, I would feel it overwhelm me a little bit, and I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a better understanding of it, you know. And maybe what I might offer to the music comes from my limited scope of like, okay, we're, you know, or we're, we're in, I'm playing an F sharp major, right? So. Any any thoughts or ideas or things I contribute if if I'm just thinking of this as F sharp major, what will happen? You know, like how will those, you know, clash um, with the other stuff going on? Like there's some things that come from that uh, limited understanding um, that I that's about all I can offer <laughs> to this music because because it's not um, like I said, you know, there's there's a little bit of imposter syndrome that I feel when I'm like working on a, a record that's going to like be categorized as jazz music. It's not, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm out of my depths there, but, um, but somebody once told me that, that Chet Baker kind of had a, a similar, you know, ear driven approach. He, he couldn't read. No. That. Yeah. Um, and I mean, not, not being able to read is, is one, you know, one limitation, um, but, but the, the fluency or like the understanding, you know, of the, 
of the of the music and it's how sophisticated things can get really quickly in jazz um is is definitely like it feels like a it feels like there's a bit of a ceiling there and that if you all you can rely on is your your sort of inner ear mm -hmm. and your instinct of what's going on and um and sometimes you know you you sometimes it's an advantage and and but usually it's it's a disadvantage <laughs> well it doesn't sound like that at all you you on that record like you're limited or it's you're not in your zone or whatever you know you sound very much at ease and uh searching you, and you know. yeah but you only you only get to hear what i want you to hear <laughs> <laughs> that's the wonderful thing about having the keys to the studio right <laughs> How about that solo over seven? Seven's not seven doesn't feel that unfamiliar to me. I think rhythmically I'm less. Um, I think rhythmically I've I've spent time around more sophisticated music than like your typical Western diet, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and playing it and stuff. But the. Uh, the the solo on that song for me was a little more challenging to contribute just because of the like trying to figure out the sort of voice leading through through the changes yep and uh and you know i i, I can't i i don't think i i still don't think i can i can like think fast enough in those ways to like always know where I am in the progression um, or like, you know, ever know where I am <laughs> unless it's like this, this is the beginning. But I think there's, there's, um, there's uh, enough of an understanding to kind of know, like, I guess the way that I find it is I'll find one shape that sort of works um, for maybe I guess you'd call it like a passing chord, right? Or like, you know, the from something that just happens for a bar. I'll I'll kind of find a shape on guitar near the area where um I, I might think of like, you know, my C root position as being, you know, like the next chord I'll notice um maybe like an E flat minor shape seems to kind of outline you know, this one little stab, that, that triad thing that you referred to, you know, so I won't, I won't necessarily think like we're in E minor for that one bar, but at least I'll understand that I need to, I need to familiarize the sound of what going from C major melodically to E minor melodically sounds like, mm -hmm. you know, so that there's this kind of like, vague melodic definition of the distance between those two scales mm -hmm. um and then i'll i'll try to like internalize or memorize that part of it because i know i'll never be able to like think in terms of the modes and where i am and where i should go to next but if i can have some sensibility of the architecture like the shape you know stringing those lines those kind of fixed points of like c major to 
you know, E flat minor and then to E minor and like just that chromaticism, that half mm-hmm. step and what that sounds like and feels like, then at least I'll know that wherever I end up in this improvised thing, um, I'll, I'll kind of know like my brain will, will be thinking about those relationships however loosely. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of my, my way of, of um, navigating a section like that as a soloist or a melodist. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> that's actually how I do it too, I think. That way you respect the harmonic movement, but also the exactly. skeleton that, that happens behind it in a way. Exactly. Yeah. And it maybe gets you out of that thinking in terms of that language of, of, um, you know, uh, a, a, a language of exacts, like here are my, here are my limits. And it's just more of a, you know, it's kind of like, I was wondering what, what it is that when you see like a big flock of birds or a school of fish and they all sort of turn on a dime, you know, what it is that they're navigating through and, and sensing that they all have that same thought at the same time. It seems who's like. the first guy. If, yeah. Who's the That's first guy? I... Or is there some sort of like current, you know, like, are they picking up on, mm-hmm. are they all interpreting some external information in the same way? Um, and like my brain, if I'm like considering it, it kind of feels like it's this sort of school of fish and that the changes are like some kind of uh, external information and it's just supposed to sort of push you in this one direction. Um, and there are moments that, there are moments that like you can make a mistake in that and it's still, you know, it's still right or it's still fine because you're kind of following, you're following this natural thing that's, that's happening. Even if you're, you step outside of the, the box of it for a second. Yeah, I love the the forward motion in the energy of your of your solo in in that track. Also, no, to me, it feels thanks. like somebody is like, ah, get out of the way. Let me let me do my thing. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of no. what kind of instrument is this? It sounds it's like a, a, trace. Twi- a what? The trace, Cuban trace. So it's um, it's it's like three choruses, uh. And it's, it's nine strings. Um, Do you have it nearby? Do you want no, to? No, it's it? at the studio. It's at the studio. But it was a. It was like a little Martin backpacker guitar that was converted into a trace. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's tuned. It's tuned a lot like the top three strings of a guitar. Same intervals. So there's some some commonalities there. Um, and, uh, but the, 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 the transposition is different. The top, the, 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 the string on the, um, the, you know, closest to your thumb, like up here. And I still get confused. Some people call that top. Some people call it bottom. The, uh, that string is, is higher in pitch than the, two lower ones so a lot of your phrases get sort of inverted yeah you know um and there's there's definitely some of that going on in guitar uh-huh. so like when we did the live videos 
um, there was some chord, some things about the, when I was comping on the melody, you know, and kind of playing along with the melody that like really worked well on trace. But then when you play those shapes on guitar, you don't have the same, the same note doesn't pop out as the melody. Um, so now I know how to play that song, like half on trace and half on guitar. And, and it's even a more vague sense of, you know, the composition, like, you know, it's like, a, I, I, I barely know how to play this music still. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be long too. before. No, go ahead. I was going to say, it's not going to be, once the music's out, like it's not going to be long before there are people who are probably going to show us stuff about these songs that were just like, sure. Oh my God, you know, that's so sick. If we would have known before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what, was I going to say? I, I, I lost it. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted no, you. That, no, that's fine. I interrupted you, by the way. So um, we haven't talked about Jerkle yet. No. Jerkle's a cool one. Jerkle. Yes. He, that's my kid's favorite, by the way. It is? Yeah, that's what they sang along with, you know. Wow. That's so cool. Especially the uh, bomb, bomb. great Great. yeah it has a little bit of a children's tv show thing to it Mm -hmm. that that section um that song originated from um pino pino was trying to find so he'd done i think it was a tour in africa and and even played with ali farcatura i think at a festival or maybe he had done a couple of shows with him. I'm not totally sure, but he was in Africa um, and he had heard somebody playing this instrument called a jerkle, which is a one string. It's kind of like a jelly and bony, but it's one string and it's tuned lower. And, um, and so he, he couldn't find one and uh one day was just trying to approximate the sound of that on on like a jazz bass and so he had he had double tracked himself playing this sort of um uh a line that was approximating the sound of that instrument and uh and it, all the other stuff all the other ideas were just kind of like based you know around that idea like the, the um the melody, the you know, sort of like a second um, jerkle line or or ngoni yeah. based line, um, and uh, I think the drums on that one. Well, the drums don't come in until the end. Chris came in and played on that, uh, and uh, there's some there's some like melody stuff in there that Sam's playing on sax and uh and you know those ideas I think came later you know like once we had pulled this up this when he had first made the the jerkle baseline demo idea I, mean, you know, I don't know it must have been years or something before most of the stuff was like sitting on a drive various drives or iPhones or things like that you know for years um just in in little bits of ideas 
Um, so that was that was kind of the impetus of that one. Just like it, it all stemmed from these African instruments, most of which we didn't really have around. And I have a, I've got a, a, a pretty decent jelly and goni that's on the track that I play, but um, but for the most part, you know, it's like it's using instruments that we are familiar with to try to approximate a sound that we're, you know, that both of us are pretty transfixed by. Mm. On which song is the, I can't remember now, but there's one, and I was amazed by um, the use of the clavinet. There's one song, maybe it's, uh, is it Soundwalk or Ecoute? Maybe Ecoute? I think it's probably Ecoute, and I think Chris Dave plays it. Because it's only bang, yeah, bang. Yeah. Because usually if you hear a clarinet, somebody's like going at it, you know? Yeah, I know, uh, right? And I love, because to me, it sounded like, oh, somebody has, somebody's selfless or somebody's, you know, has his ego in check, seeing a clarinet and just going bang. I mean, bang. it's, but it's, it's also, it's so ballsy. It's such a, it's such a big move. Yeah. You know, like. I, I think like, I think music students should just like see every example of that kind of approach. I mean, it's because it's a magic trick. Mm -hmm. And, and like anybody who's ever been in the studio with Chris, he'll, he'll come in and he'll, if there's something to listen to beforehand, like a demo or, or, you know, somebody playing the song on one instrument, he'll come in and he'll just sit down, you know, kind of, he's real quiet and just listen You know, and then you know, okay, play it again, play it again. And you've, you know, once you've gone through the song, you've played it for him like three or four times and you're kind of wondering like, like what's going on, you know? And uh, it seems like, you know, maybe he's like searching for ideas or something, but no, he's, he's like scheming this grand plan. And sometimes it's like, He'll go and build it by these, doing this one layer first, and you you just hear these like little snippets, this one little part, like a little part or you know cowbell part or whatever, and then he's like, okay, give me another track, you know, and he just builds this this ensemble of things that are it's it, it's usually it's not cyclical, it's not like it does it keeps doing the same thing over and over, and you can like fly it, you know, or mm. loop it. He's He's mapping out things, the topography of a, of a song um, in such a way where, I mean, I've seen him go in, I've seen him do that, listen to a song three or four times or maybe more and then go in and play a pass uh, on the kit and his snare part is like, it's like he's carved out all these little spaces around the vocal. He's not playing backbeats. He's like doing these, these little etchings in between vocal phrases you know so his he's memorized something about the the song or what the some element of the song's doing and it's it's so heavy you know and it's the kind of thing you never forget once you've seen it and i think if i think if that were if that kind of thing were um were more 
like if that's what was was sort of like memorialized or like talked about you know like around people growing up like those were the kinds of stories that that inspired me and I think they're way more compelling than like I don't know the 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 sort of like rock god guitar hero the shredding pipe yeah yeah the 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 iconography you know like that that kind of the profundity of of something like what chris does is more um it it's sweeter to me you know we've got to brainwash kids into thinking that in those terms (laughs) (laughs) for the for the for the for the good of of all of us it's a good place to stop right sure yeah yeah i i mean i'm glad that this could be part of the uh, you know of the interview it, it's it really is a special record to have been involved in and um and i'm just more than anything i'm i'm really happy that uh pino's never made a he's never put a record out of his own stuff his compositional voice even beyond the playing part of it his compositional voice i think is a really unique thing you know especially yeah, it never sounds like here. a bassist record although there are some great bass yeah. parts in it but you know he's he seems to think on so many different levels um uh, at once uh, yeah compositionally and and playing also never sounds like here listen to my cool you know baseline or whatever although no, there's a cool, cool baseline for sure you know but it's not like everything else is there to set up the baseline. It's yeah. not, it's not all like pointing in that direction. The, when he was playing stuff for me, the, the two, I remember the two things that came to mind, um, and this was not for every song by any means, but like, I do remember moments where I would go, this sort of reminds me of Brian Wilson, or mm-hmm. this sort of reminds me of, of, mingus that i'm familiar with and it, it would be bass players it would be like you know those are both those guys are 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 bass players um, incredible composers exactly like there is an arrangemental voice i think there's a commonality in how this is just a theory i have after working on this one record so you know i, I don't know what i'm talking about but i i i think that there might be a commonality in how bass players hear harmony and rhythm that allows them to build arrangements that mm. do feel unique you know, yeah. in that way. I was thinking of Jaco. Did he talk to you about <clears throat> Jaco? Not a whole lot. I mean, he, there's definitely, there's definitely like, there's some, there's, there's a lot of fretless stuff from Pino on this record. And before D'Angelo, I mean, he was sort of known as a fretless bass phenom, you know, and, and it's a, it's a part of his playing and his voice that hasn't really spoken, you know, for a while um, to this degree. So, so there was definitely some, some aspects, like some shared things, you know, between both those guys um that that came out just by way of the fact that there was a lot of fretless information um 
that's the obvious part, but I'm talking about the melodic and especially the, the melody from man from Molise. Mm. I hear how he sings that melody. He's really singing that melody. It's not like picking the melody. It's like singing. Yeah. Bringing it to the forefront and certain, you know, certain melodic choices and movements also somehow gave me a Jaco vibe and not only because of the yeah. fretless, but tone, tone choices chord choices right right yeah i wonder I, i mean it's it's so cool to uh, an instrument that's so unforgiving with chords sometimes like to hear to hear somebody's um chordal decision making you know a bass player's chordal decision making i bet you there's some some things that, that work on bass and some you know on that instrument that um, that lead to some similar color choices, you know, to That's people true. who are, who compose. I know men from say, I, I think that melody he actually did write, not on the instrument, but just like walking, you know, walking down the beach, um, kind of had this melody in his head. That's so such a tune, be... it felt to me like I, I knew it from somewhere, but not in a band way, <laughs> you know? Uh, It seems like it has been there forever. Like, it, timeless. It's it's original. Um, it's original uh, intent, or it, the way he had had written that song and even recorded it at one point um, was twice as fast. So oh. it was like a Cuban. It was like he played it for me like that, and I was like, first of all, this is phenomenal, and there was some <laughs> playing on the on the on the stuff that's like I don't even I don't even know how that exists, but um, but I was like, what would this sound like if it was half speed? So it, I played it at half speed, like it, you know, on Pro Tools, you can you can play something. You just hit spacebar and shift and it plays it at half speed and it's also down a whole octave. Everything goes down. Um, so all of the, like everything, all the, the flute melody and all this stuff was now down in like um, sax register and all of the rhythmic stuff was really sloshy and people's timing was a little looser. Um, it felt like Tom Waits playing Cuban music in seven <laughs> <laughs> and it's like this is this is really interesting and you can hear things about the melody at this speed that you don't pick up when it's faster and when it's at the higher register too like these big interval jumps and stuff um, come through and so when we recorded it we tried to emulate the sound of the stuff that had been slowed down you know so like these drums are like, like I'm, I'm hitting Rototom. I'm hitting Rototom, it's like boom. I'm yeah. hitting it and it's and spinning the rim to get the sound of the, the, um, the drum to the, the, the pitch of it to arc in a way mm -hmm. that was just happening when you, you know, whatever it previously was and you slowed it down. Um, and trying to get like the transient transients of things to be sort of long, you know, right. kind of sloshy in that way. Uh, the intro so, is cool too, because you don't, you don't know where this is leading. Oh yeah. It's totally, 
and you and can't differentiate the, the sounds also like what is it i mean <laughs> what is it <laughs> yeah yeah at a certain point you kind of like I, I hope people that just sort of give in and and uh and you know and stop like it's easy to i figure with the record like this and with a musician like him that people are going to come at it first kind of clinically like a lot of his listeners and his fans are going to going to analyze it you know especially from a technical standpoint like what gear and what's what's being played and um and i i hope that there's enough of a um there's enough interest that there's enough going on to keep to like satiate that that interest but that there's also enough that like you can't define and can't figure out that allows the that process to kind of like dissolve a little right. bit you know and, and and that there's another another layer to it for them yeah a lot of layers after them. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like uh um took me a while to find the marimba in there also like there's a oh, yeah. little little moment yeah and uh, i think a glockenspieler or celesta on on maybe uh, just wrong or something uh yeah there's a yeah yeah there's a little a one note um there's 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 some like stuff you know kind of layered in there to to add to the sort of escavel soundscapey yeah thing to it yeah at what point uh did you decide to to say okay this is also a blake mills record i think when we were working on ecoute um that was the first one the stuff the stuff that was happening to the song and the the, the sort of new sections that were being created um were that was just stuff I was doing on my own at the, at my house. And, and then I would show to Pino and say, does this do anything for you? Um, and that's what, that's what carried us into like another song and another idea. And then that carried into the idea of a record and, and how we would make that record. Um, and, uh, it wasn't until it wasn't until like like we knew it was a collaborative project because that's how we worked on all the music but we didn't necessarily decide that it was going to be a, a, a pino and blake record that wasn't as obvious because it it felt like there were a lot there were more people involved you know chris's voice is 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 very present on this sam's voice larry's voice marcus strickland you know it's like there are a lot of players But I think we didn't feel like it was necessarily a band either because it it was not a consistent group of people from song to song. And that the, 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 the thread line from each thing was, you know, the commonality really was the two of us. Um, and that the finished result was... A, was um, you know, uh, if nothing else, a, a, a result of Pino's compositional sensibilities and, and rhythmic identity and, and melodic identity and, and, and then texturally 
and arrangementally, you know, some of my doing and that that was just sort of like, all right, let's, <laughs> it's hard enough to try to come up with a band name for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> let's just call it, you know, let's just call it a day. Um, but the live videos, like the live videos, it would have been totally weird if it was just, if they were released under Blake and Pino or Pino and Blake or whatever, and, and, and not acknowledge the fact that, you know, Sam is just as much a contributor to this. So it's sort of, it's also nice that it's this thing that can grow. What was the moment where there were the most amount of people together in the studio playing? I think there was maybe, I think we had like Chris and Sam and Pino and I, and maybe Larry was there. And that would have been for, I think that would have been for Jerkle or maybe, um, maybe just wrong. I can't remember. You know, there were, there were most of the stuff that Chris plays on the record, I feel like was all stuff that was already recorded, like that, you know, recorded at his house or something years before. But the, the, with the exception, there was a few days where Chris came in to play on stuff that we had made, you know, after starting to work on this record, play on top of it. Um, Just Wrong would have been the first one we worked on at Sound City. Um, and it was one of the first sessions we ever did there. Hmm. And um, so Chris came in for that but I know some of the other songs didn't exist yet, um, you know, in their kind of like final state for him to play on. So he, he, he would have come back. And I think on one of those occasions, Sam was there. Um, but most of this record, like I said, was done kind of piece by piece. Um, would you say while that trying to avoid is... that sound? Yeah. Would you say this is, um, is beneficial to the, to the end product that you don't really think of the end product so much while working? It can be. We just, it, we just didn't really, I mean, like I said, this music is still so mysterious. I, I, I don't have a, a real, it's hard to, to define what the end product is <laughs> still to this day. Um, but I think the, I think it can go both ways when you're working on a record, like sometimes you can definitely oversaturate, you know, or overcook something and overdevelop it. You know, I think that's, every, everybody knows that and they're, they're really cautious of it. And it's what makes the allure of, you know, just going in and knocking it out in a week sound so refreshing. It's kind of like, in most cases, if you if you say that's the way you want to do a record, most people you talk to are probably going to go like, "Yeah, man, right on," you know. Like to go the other route and say, "I want to make a record and I want to spend like a good three months just kind of like considering every possible idea." Yeah, <laughs> it's not as appealing, but it's what most people do. Mm-hmm. To be honest, you know, even if they intend to go in and just bang it out um it's it's what happens 
for better or worse. And I think it's, it's just a good thing to develop that uh, notion for everybody, that notion of like, when is this, at what point is this not getting better and better the more that I work on it? You know, um, for us, we definitely pushed that limit a few times, you know, and trying to, trying to like explore every possibility. Is there a mo is there songs that didn't get uh, a place on the record? Is there still unreleased no. material? No, it, right? I mean, they're not, not from this batch. Like I said, there's a song that we, we started working on, um, not so much the recording of, but just been, been playing and getting together. It's one of those songs where it's like you've, for each melody, you've sort of got like three or four different accompaniment options that you could do. And you're kind of trying to figure out like, should we mix one of these or should we make a section where it does this one time and does this the other. So just sorting through a lot of those decisions right now, that's sort of the state that it's in but it it really feels like a continuation of the process that evolved over the course of making notes with attachments well i can't wait to hold it in my hands you know i've, I've learned really i've learned so much listening to your music and oh, well, looking forward to you. more more of that thank you so much Pablo. i appreciate that <laughs>